this is too much now. This is too much to be coincidence. Talk to the families. They're heartbroken. Their daughter's gone. Their son's gone. Their father's gone. Their uncle's gone. Their mother's gone. Their aunt's gone. They'll never return. It's their job to protect people in national parks and forests. And you're telling me that people go in there and disappear and they don't even keep a list of it? That's a lie. A policy for the National Park Service that we keep the list? That's a great question. I don't know. Disappearing from the National Forest. He made a map. If you take that map and overlay it on top of a map made by a guy named Tall, it shows a bunch of underground bunkers and underground facilities and underground rail network. The concentrations of disappearances match. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Olav Phillips a little bit later. But first... Graham, I want to play my own jingles, Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling like we're back in the groove now after that little hiatus. Yeah, the last one was kind of slapped together. I didn't even make the proper intro, which was okay because we got to use Gitmo's uh, jingle, new jingle. But yeah, I was there on the couch last night and I was like, oh, fuck, I got to find a clip. And I was like, oh, I just, it was too late. Next, we should have had one more in the can. I think that was a lesson learned. Next time, we'll pre have one pre-recorded and ready to go and not try and slam it all into... Right when you get back from vacation? Yeah, yeah. and busy yeah. here, getting yeah. the house back in order. and Yeah. Yeah, and work's crazy busy. That doesn't help, is that work's... So that's probably the biggest problem, is that work's retarded. So I just came back, and it's like fucking bam. Yeah. And then trying to squeeze this up, too. But we're back in the groove. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of people booked. Some exciting ones coming up too. So August is full. It's like chalk full. Like we're gonna have more than one a week coming out, probably, right? It's yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. We're gonna have Randall and Ed in the studio. Yeah. And our buddy Bill from down in Atlanta. So that'll be fun. We're gonna have some visitors to the igloo. Yeah. And, and we've actually got a visitor, we've got a visitor, visitor this week to the igloo. Yeah, yeah. So have we had anyone in the igloo yet? No. No, eh? no, this will be the first Oh. So that's good to have some people live in studio. It's much easier to talk yeah. to somebody like you and I talk. Absolutely. Instead of over Skype. I'm looking, obviously, Randall's one of our uh, most popular, definitely one of our listeners' most popular guests so far. So um, yeah. it's kind good. of ironic that he's going to be in studio in, in a week and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and, we might even have Duncan Trussell on. Yeah. That, uh, we're in... We're in we're just squirreling out the details there. So hopefully that comes to fruit and that'll yeah. be coming up soon. So yeah, everything's looking up. It's uh, it's comes to fruition, by the way, not oh. fruit. <laughs> what did I say? Comes to fruit. <laughs> I thought that was a new saying. I've never heard it. <laughs> I finally get a chance to bug you. That's funny. Speaking of that, I wanted to, um, mention because actually this episode, it was, uh, our buddy Jackson, Twitter. Jackson Taylor, is it? Yeah. That, uh, hopes he doesn't care if that we said his name. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> his last name and everything. He's the one who put us on Olaf Phillips. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, I think he was already on your list, but then yeah, he, he was on he's the one list, and yeah. he just tweeted me and I tweeted Olaf and it kind of happened like that. 
And he had suggested a while back now that we should, he, he liked some of our little one-liners or flibs or whatever, right? Or fuck-ups or, and that we should record the favorite quote. I said, oh, we don't have time for that. So he started doing it. Oh, no. So, Is this uh, what you've been doing over there yeah. in the corners? I'll can f- I can I mention Olaf Phillips first before okay, we? Okay, and then we'll get we, into some of Jackson's favorite yeah. quotes because ever since then he started picking a quote out and tweeting oh, no. it. Yeah, you're gonna, t- you're gonna talk about that on the air. I didn't think you're allowed to do. that. I might not mention that. <laughs> We're allowed to do whatever we want, buddy. <laughs> so that's the great thing about hearing from listeners, though, is because Olav was on on our list, and actually, I'd I'd asked uh, Greg from THC too, and he recommended him. Uh, and then when you hear from listeners and they kind of confirm that then it's uh it's easier to just move forward with it if you know some people really want to hear so yeah Olaf phillips is one of these guys you can talk to about everything we talked about the secret space program and area 51 and all all kinds of crazy stuff you know ufos occult stuff and some conspiracies but he's pretty level-headed about it too you know definitely uh open-minded and level-headed you know like if somebody was to look at it like a, a real hardcore skeptic was to look at you know, his, uh, his web page or his site or whatever, you'd probably just say, well, he's, uh, he's a conspiracy, you know, guy. I don't want to be too cliche with that, but, uh, he's definitely got lots of information about all kinds of stuff. So we want to thank him too for, uh, I think he was, uh, walking, walking along the beach doing the interview with us. So that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. He forgot. And then he was, yeah, you couldn't even tell though. No. That was a good one. Yeah. He was in a park someplace in California and we're fucking crammed in a refrigerator and fucking my garage. <laughs> so yeah, it was a great chat. Uh, lots of good stuff. Moon bases and yeah, that's a good one. Now Darren's uh, just about ready here. Okay. I think I'm ready. Okay. So I think he started on episode 123. So favorite quote of episode 123, there's a perfectly logical and rational reasons why I think they should redesign the vajankle. <laughs> you had to bring that one up, eh? Favorite, favorite quote of ep 124, Squatch it ain't easy. Favorite episode of 125, it's like fucking expensive too. You can't go for a shit in there without spending fucking 50 bucks. That was awesome. You know, I remember you saying that, but I can't remember what you're talking about. Stampede. Oh, is that? <laughs> 126. Toy Story? Fuck you, man. I like Toy, Toy Story. And if I want to cry with Woody and Buzz Lightyear, I have the right to. That was Red Pill Chunky, by the way. Yeah, and he gave us one for Takara, so, but I'm not going to mention it. That we, <laughs> And you've got your mouth around it. Jesus, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> that one was talking about Darren's big black mic. So, yeah, thanks, Jackson. Yeah, so I'll do that every, uh, you know, when I've got four, four every five episodes, I'll, I'll blast them out. So sure. if anyone else has their own, they feel free to send them in. I guess. I don't want to make this a trend, really. But no. <laughs> They're usually you quotes. It could be embarrassing for me. <laughs> it could be putting my foot in my mouth. That's the right. Well, this one would probably be me. Come to fruit. Well, we might as well stick on the listener feedback. I got some spam here. Spam? What yeah. kind of spam? It's good spam. What sort of spam? Oh, what, what kind of spam is it? Well, it's... Uh, 
Is it a bit of a synchro? Well, it's kind of a feedback on a remote viewing. And it's also... Um... Yeah. <laughs> You don't say ham, you say spam. This is from Mitch P from the UK. The the lands of reflective air, our friends from reflective air. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's where they're it's from. It's who? Reflective air. This is no, it's Mitch from the UK, but it's in the lands of where oh, I was going to say, you didn't just give away not Morgan's fucking identity, no. did you? <laughs> Maybe it is him, I don't know. So he says, hey, Darren and Graham, I've been meaning to send you a report on a psychic experience I had after I had a synchronicity relating to episode number 117. So I had to shoot you this email. So my synchro starts with me listening to Courtney Brown of the Farsight Institute and the moment he began explaining his own remote viewing procedure, episode one hey, was... did he just say it's a synchro? Right in the middle of the synchro. Wow. We're not prepared for a synchro. Why'd you say it was just bad? I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities <laughs> all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. And that's not fair to this guy because now I'm going to be angry while I'm rating his synchro. No, not at all. You're okay. So it starts with him listening to Courtney Brown. What's his name again? Mitch. Mitch. Of the Farsight Institute. And the moment he began explaining his own remote viewing procedure, episode 117 pops up in his feed catcher. And as he read the show notes, I knew I would be trying this out after listening. This is a good two weeks before Courtney goes on THC. So I decided to make attempt at remote viewing, 21056611, and here's a quick account of what I saw. First, I saw flashes of colors, green and then blue, accompanied by a strong scent of fresh grass, giving me the impression of a garden or something like that. The only solid image I perceived was only for a moment and it was the outline of a wrought iron fencing the type that might surround a posh garden the funny thing is this fence was detailed detailed with the fleur-de-lis as opposed to those uh those little uh, arrowhead fence styles isn't that the fleur-de-lis no no the fleur-de-lis is like that one from Quebec, similar right? French yeah one, yeah so. yeah but i think it i'm picturing it as looking similar they look it must look similar uh, what do you mean? The Fleur de Lis and the Arrowhead. Thing. No, 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 I don't think so. Huh? So he says, uh, the thing is, I actually disregarded all of this thinking that it must be down to my imagination and probably not influence of the coordinates. I didn't think it would be relevant to the experiment. Now, after hearing episode 121, I'm just annoyed. I didn't send it to you earlier. Yeah. It's probably a, a posh garden with uh -huh. a Fleur de Lis fence around the Eiffel tower. Because that was the answer to our remote viewing was the Eiffel Tower. And Darren's got a little keychain there. Nice. Of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. It's been sitting. I wonder if that's what John's seen. Oh, maybe, eh? Hmm. Or wait, John didn't see anything. He gave us the... He gave us yeah. the coordinates yeah. of the Eiffel Tower that was sitting on our desk. Yeah, that's been a pretty good... Uh, pretty. So we're talking about an episode where we did a little remote viewing test kind of thing and some listeners sent in their uh, experiences and believe it or not there was quite a few matches 
So yeah, kind of think of it that wasn't a synchro either. Yeah, it was at the beginning because he was listening to Courtney Brown before he came on to THC from the Farsight Institute and our remote viewing episode popped up with the coordinates on it. Oh, yeah. Courtney Brown. Okay. Yeah, we've been getting emails about... Uh, well, it involves the show. So I'll give him a... <laughs> at least a six. 5.42. Alrighty. So he says, on the topic of the experience I originally meant to recount... I had started chatting to a stranger after we both got off the bus. He was very talkative, but soon he began getting stuck on his last word of his sentences. I began finishing off what he wanted to say, but then after a while, he wouldn't finish his statement until the applicable word crossed my mind. I forget the exact topic of our conversation, but what sticks out in my memory is that after this had happened a few times, I decided to start picking out increasingly more exotic synonyms to test out his telepathic vibe or to test out this telepathic vibe i felt that i was picking up on his thoughts or perhaps broadcasting my own he was enthusiastic about what he was telling me about and each time he got stuck i focused on not an abstract word a relevant one that i thought he was likely to choose each time like before as the word occurred to me it seemed to pop into his head and he said it so there it was just a weird experience that stuck with me I wanted to share it Sorry if it's on the long side. Keep up the good work, fellers. I quickly became hooked on your show and now making a second pass of the back catalog. Lots of love. Mitch B. from England. A second pass? Yeah, I know. Crazy, eh? Yeah. Um, That's great. Um, thanks for the, the email. So he can, man he can so, shoot his thoughts? Yeah, well, what he was doing is instead of like coming up with a word, like a typical word at the end of a sentence, right? He would... He would think of a focus on not an abstract word, a relevant one that thought he was least likely to choose, right? And then it would still pop out. Okay, let's try it. Mess. Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> I was thinking that you were going to start talking and then you were going to stop. And I was going to think. Oh, I just said one word. Yeah, that doesn't really work. <laughs> so you know what happens to me when this happens <laughs> <laughs> it's with numbers so people are talking whether it's on tv or list i'm listening to conversation at work or with friends and family and they're going to say a number like fifty thousand or something i always come up with a number it's a number thing for me like the number pops into my head mm. like for you if you were going to think of something i'd think of the percentage because you always talk about percentages i do 50 percent. yeah 60% of the time yeah, works every 50 time. 50% of people got <laughs> Right on. Well, thanks, Mitch. And I know we don't talk about news a lot, but I do have something I'd like to, uh, to talk about, if you're into it. So it's probably getting a little political, but I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that we should talk about a little bit, and it's a good news thing. Sure. You ready? Am I ready? It's a little, yeah. Do I need to be ready? It's a little, well, it's a little long. Oh, God. That's what she said. But I don't have to go, uh, <laughs> I don't have to go all the way through it, but we can, and you can tell me to speed up. Feel free to tell me to speed up, but this is, can I uh, tell you to stop if it comes to it? it yeah. Okay. If you must. So this is from humansarefree.com, and I found it, I found it using my Others Report app. That's not an ad at all. It's just an app that I use from a listener of ours. And it's called uh, 25 Signs That the Global Elite's Ship is About to Sink. So these guys, this article is saying the tide has definitely turned. 
And there's 25 things here that, uh, that tell us we shouldn't buy into the fear-based propaganda. So you ready, Darren? I'm ready. I'm sitting back here. I'm... All right. 57 nations approved as founding members of the China-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. So this is uh, notable countries who signed with Russia, India, Iran, Switzerland, Germany, France, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Indonesia, the UK, Italy, and Australia. No, Austria. Notables who did not join are the US and Japan. So on May 12, 2015, Russia asked Greek, Greece <laughs> to join the BRICS alliance. So this is going to be a trend through this, is this whole BRICS thing, right? May 24th. This is all this year. These dates are all this year, like from May on, really. So May 24th, the Pentagon released documents to Judicial Watch, a government watchdog law firm, proving that the U.S. government played a central role in creating ISIL. CIA did. Interestingly, the mainstream media failed to cover the story. Boo! And a few weeks later, a U.S. intelligence official confirmed the report. Number four, May 31st. Greece's Prime Minister Alex Tsipras writes an open letter, warns European leaders that they are making a grave mistake, and suggests that they reread Hemingway's For Whom the Bell Tolls. Number five, June 2nd. The U.S. federal government was hacked as the personal data of 4 million current formal and prospective employees believed to have been breached. Three weeks later, FBI Director James Comey told U.S. senators the actual number could have been 18 million. Some believe the hack was coordinated to gather further evidence of crimes by certain government officials. 6. June 2, 2015, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul calls for the U.S. government to declassify 28 pages of the 9-11 attack that the Bush administration had blacked out. Number 7. June 3, famous musician Akon announces his solar academy will bring solar power to over 600 million people in Africa. A major victory for clean energy and humanity. Solar power? Yeah, 600 million. Huh. That's crazy, eh? Dollars? Jeez, I didn't hear about that. Oh, there's a hashtag I wanted to start using. Media silence deafening. <laughs> no hashtags. Except for America. <laughs> so June 4th, this is number eight, June 4th, whistleblower Edward Snowden says a profound difference had occurred since releasing the NSA documents and that the balance of power has shifted in our world. Is he referring to the BRICS alliance? Nine, June 5th, there will be a reset of the financial industry. The International Monetary Fund says the Chinese yuan is no longer undervalued. This sets the stage for the yuan to be recognized as a global reserve currency, something the U.S. dollar does not like. Number 10, June 7th, Deutsche Bank, one of the largest banks in the world, co-CEOs Jane and Fitzen resign. Two days later, German prosecutors raided the bank's headquarters in a criminal tax fraud probe. That's crazy. And the two CEOs resign and then... I think it's raided two days later. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Nothing to see here. 11, June 15th. China says the G7 summit in Germany was a gathering of debtors. They mean this literally as the Bretton Woods Western financial system is based on debt. 
And in fact, the entire Western financial system has been running illegally and is technically bankrupt. China's going down too. Number 12, June 17th. How many is there? 25. Holy shit. <laughs> June, 20, June 17th is quite the day because the next four stories have been reported at that time. First, J.P. Morgan's number two, the vice chairman, Jimmy Lee, suddenly and unexpectedly passes over. Since late... Passes over to where? The other side. Dies? I think, yeah, I think okay. that's what they mean. Croaked. Bit the... Bit the yeah. Bit the you got it? You're just being disrespectful now. Sorry, Jimmy. Since late 2013, the list of high-level banking officials to have passed over has grown to 70. Darren, we should have somebody on about this. I was talking to, to somebody about this, uh, this phenomenon, right? Somebody's got to be researching this to, to a deeper level. 70 high-level banking officials. Number 13, June 17th, again, Russia and China announced that all natural gas and crude oil sales between the two countries will now be done in the Chinese yuan. Now, why is it, isn't it yen? It's spelled Y-U-A-N here, though. Yuan? Yeah. That's their money? Yeah, it's supposed to be yen, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's yen. So, sorry about the mispronunciation. Yen. That's why it's yen. And, uh, and will be convertible into Russian rubles. The U.S. dollar hegemony is waning. Number 14, same day, the state of Texas signs a bill that calls for the repatriation, repatriation of their gold. Reparation? No, repatriation. Repatriation? Yeah, okay, yeah. Of their gold from the federal government. When asked what would happen if the government tried to steal back the gold, State Representative Giovanni Capriglioni said this, there's a motto in the office of almost every state legislator in Texas, and it's a flag that we have. From the Texas Revolution. It's below a cannon, and what the motto says is come and take it. <laughs> Good old Texas. Number 15, same day. Greece's Hellenic Parliamental's Debt Truth Committee released a report stating that the debt Greece owes is illegal, illegitimate, and odious according to international law. Further, they stated that the IMF and ECB, that's the European Central Bank, having illegally and knowingly imposed these illegitimate debts upon Greece and other nations. A direct call-out to the global banking cartel. That's my favorite one. Number, number 16, June 18th, Baron David de Rothschild has been indirected, no, sorry, has been indicted by a French court over financial fraud. French police have been ordered by the court to track down Baron. June 18th, in a two-to-one ruling, the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals says Bush-era officials can be held liable for detaining innocent people after the 9-11 attack. June 19, while European leaders try to save face on the debt crisis, Greeks, Greek PM Alexis Sapiris was in Russia and gave a speech at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum, stating that the economic center of the planet has already shifted. And the new powers are playing an important role on an economic and geopolitical level. Number 19, June, July 5th, Greece votes no to the creditor's bailout offer. This is a massive stance for humanity that Greece just took against the banking elite. July 7th, the BRICS Bank officially opens for business. July 8th, 
On this day, several strange events occurred. The New York Stock Exchange was taken down for multiple hours. The Wall Street Journal was taken offline just after the stock exchange went down. United Airlines was forced to ground all of its flights nationwide due to its computer issues, glitches, and 2,500 people losing power in Washington, D.C. This whistleblower journalist just wrote that his Pentagon sources said the Pentagon slash BRICS alliance took it down as a dry run. Catch that one, Darren? Yep. July 7th, backing up one day. Yeah, he did July 7th. We see, yeah. Yeah, but, and then it backs up again. Backing up one day, it see, says that the hacker group Anonymous tweeted this on the evening prior to the stock exchange hack. Wonder if tomorrow is going to be a bad day for Wall Street. Was it? Fuck yeah. So, now what day we are? David Wilcock has previously oh written a detailed document stating that Anonymous is working with certain patriotic U.S. military forces to legally take down the banking elite. This aligns nicely with what the whistleblower journalist Benjamin Fulford just wrote this week about the Pentagon and the BRICS alliance in the previous story. July 14th, this is number 23, Iran, China, Russia, France, Germany, and the U.K. and the U.S. reach a historic deal on Iran's nuclear program. Entire books could be written on the geopolitical, financial, and technological implications of this move. July 15th. Santa Cruz County votes to stop doing business with five major banks, including J.P. Morgan, Barclays, Citigroup, Royal Bank of Scotland, and UBS. Watch this set off a chain of reaction who will follow suit. That's pretty cool. A county says no business with major banks. Okay, keep going. I'm just about there, buddy. Now, 25. You are here on this planet at this oh. time to make, <laughs> to make a wonderful contribution. Please continue playing your role for the benefit of us all. It is clear that something big is happening. Use this information to move forward with optimism. You should have stayed at hope. 24. That sounds like Wilcock. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, no. No, that was just that little one. Oh. Huh. Well, I guess we'll see. These accounts are what President Kennedy was assassinated over and what the banking elite does not want the public to know exists. This revolution will not be televised. Well, kind of will. <laughs> Why? Oh, I've seen some of this shit on TV, I'm sure. The Grease thing's probably been all over the news. Yeah, but not the side. Look, the sides that were talked about in this one weren't ta weren't televised, I don't think, very much. Mind you, I can't really say because I don't watch TV. I so. don't have cable. Yeah, so who are we to talk? <laughs> Maybe they can let us know. <laughs> right on. Nice little rundown. Thanks, buddy. Good news. We'll see. Time will tell, I suppose. So does that, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to pay less taxes? How does that break down to me and you? Well, the economy we'll would be much better if the governments were allowed to, to put their own money in the infrastructure and that everything didn't go back to the banks. Then we'll just go back to little credit unions and stuff. Well, we have money to, we would have money from the governments to do things, proper things, build infrastructure and stuff like that, create jobs. Like we'd have a real economy and not some debt-based economy that we're all living in. So I wouldn't have any more debt. That would be okay. We wouldn't as a nation. You wouldn't as a person either. I would. <laughs> huh. 
Exposed time will tell. Does they give a date? Is it coming to climax? Like, is it a this year thing? No, I don't think so. They just yeah. said the, the tide was turning, right? So it depends on which way you look at it. Found UFO quote of the week. Found UFO quote of the week. Found UFO quote of the week. That was that was a good little jingle. That's uh, that was just that was just sent in today. I think actually from Toad and Frog. Toad and Frog, Frog and Toad. Oh, oops. So I've got a UFO quote. This is a different one, different type, and it comes from uh, again humans are free, humans are free where did you find it? Is this a new site for you? It's a new... No. Okay. No, no. This is a, a story about a Russian major general. UFOs are real and we know how to summon them. So I just got a couple quotes out of this story. So does uh, Richard Greer. Stephen. <laughs> According to Vasily Yeremenko, a major general in FIB in reserve, academician of the Academy of Security, Defense, and Law Enforcement. So this is from him. We can say that we learned to summon UFOs in Vladimirovka, or Ovka, Vladimirovka. To do this, we dramatically increase the number of military flights and movement of the equipment. If the intensity on our side increased, UFOs appeared with a probability of 100%. And he goes on later. This is to a court. This is somebody else now. A special Navy group headed by Deputy Navy Commander. Admiral Nikolai Smirnov nice. collected information on reports of UFOs and delivered by submarines and military ships. So they came to three main conclusions here. Modern science is not yet able to identify such phenomena. The UFOs could be U.S. or Japan surveillance drones, and they could be extraterrestrial activity. So uh, according to Vladimir Azaza, a UFO researcher and former naval officer, 50% of UFO encounters Army. are former 50% of UFO encounters are connected with oceans 15 more with lakes so UFOs tend to stick to the water Give me those numbers again Yeah you should remember percentages 50% of UFO encounters are connected with the ocean and 15 more percent with lakes 65% Yeah Hmm I got another one here. What? So, well, this is the same, just the end of the article here. It says, according to Captain First Rank Igor Barkleyov. Hmm, that's like my middle name. That's that's like my Russian middle name. You're a Russian? Barkleyov. Navy intelligence. He says, oceans UFOs often show up wherever our NATO's fleets concentrate. Near Bahamas, Bermuda's. Puerto Rico, they are most often seen in the deepest parts of the Atlantic Ocean, in the southern part of the Bermuda Triangle, and also in the Caribbean Sea. Nice. There you go, there's a triple header for you. A triple header. A Russian triple header. What did it... <laughs> Sounds dirty. <laughs> Barklov. Barklayov. Barklayov. Right on. Anything else? Uh, well, there's, uh, speaking of 
Stephen Greer, we do have C-SETI coming, so I've I've sort of signed up for the Saturday night one. All right, yeah. yeah you're coming with me, so I've already got the the time and date and all that, so we'll be we'll doing a little, little sky watching on the end of August, Saturday, August 29th, I think it is. Mm. And then, of course, we have Modern Knowledge coming with Nassim Harriman, Patty Greer, and uh, Marty Leeds. I'll put that in the show notes, and we've talked about it a lot on the show, so I don't want to ramble on too much about it. The only reason we're talking about it is because we're going, right? You're coming, aren't you? We'll see. Last minute guy Depends for everything. Depends if it's eh? raining. Raining? What does that have to do with it? It's inside. You can't see UFOs inside. No, I'm talking about the modern knowledge one on oh. August 22nd. I'm more likely to do that than I am to go to Sea SETI, probably. If it's sunny and nice. It's okay. But we're only as strong as our weakest link, so you might want to stay here anyways. There you go. I'm going to ruin it for everybody. Right on. on With your negativity and your skepticism. Absolutely. Um, anything else? I think that's about it. Uh, we're going to jump. We're going to patch in a little, a little five or 10 minute thing with Johnny or sorry, with Scotty Roberts and John Ward. Uh, uh, maybe. I don't know if you want to say that now. I talked to Scotty. Oh, did you? Yeah. So we can, uh, we're going to patch that in at the end before we jump in with Olav. Um, they'll come give us a rundown of this year's paradigm. Um, Who's who the lineup is? We know Randall Carlson's one of them, and a uh, few yeah. few familiar faces. But we'll let them talk to that, speak to that. Um, right on. I suppose. Do you want to do the help the show out thing now? Support the show. Value support for value. Show. Value for value. Yeah. Yeah. Help us out with our value to val value for value model. Um, help us pay our expenses, pay back Graham's credit card bills. <laughs> Gas money, yeah. gear acquisition syndrome. Seems like shit's constantly we just, we breaking just had too. A, a cord go and a monitor go tonight. <laughs> always technical glitches. It's always something. Always glitching. Yeah, so check out grandamerica.ca slash support so you can figure out how to help us monetarily. Uh, there is also subscri subscribe options there. We've got uh, quite a number of people who will subscribe to anything from a dollar a month to $30 a month to a monthly thing to help uh help us out so if you feel like you get some value from us feel free to throw some back you can also do that in the form of sending in your lucid dreams and shit to graham your synchronicities spamming him crazy encounters crazy encounters reports. crazy dreams trip yeah. reports um and you also if you, if you do subscribe monthly you get an email address but it might take garrett a while to get it to you so Sorry, Bill. He owes, he owes one of our listeners, Bill, an email address, so I'm going to call you out here it, on the show. <laughs> it only takes like five minutes, too. I don't know why. I got some shit to do, some website stuff to work, so I will get that done this week. Sorry, Bill. Hope you're listening, and thanks for the donation. Yes, sir. Was that and, the cash one? Uh, Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. Might have been. Huh. Yeah, I should get to that. I'll do that this weekend. Long weekend, I'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. And then what else we got? So, and then there's also review uh, the show. And then you can go to backstage and see when we're li chatting live, right? So we do sort of have a chat room. People can come. We don't really focus on that because it's all about the on-demand podcast afterwards. But we do just throw it live up there so people can interact a little bit during the show, right? That's so right. So go to backstage slash Grimerica slash backstage. Grimerica.ca slash backstage. Grammarica.ca slash news. The newsletter is going strong. Justin's firing that out once a week with uh, 
just kind of this and that. If you have any suggestions on uh, what we could add to it, feel free to send those to Graham as well. Um, but big thanks to Justin for doing that. Uh, GrahamAmerica.ca slash news. If you are already signed up, then you can maybe sign up a couple of your friends. That kind of ties into the easiest and best way to help out the show probably other than um, subscribing is telling other people about this show. And that's how we grow the hegemony. Hegemony? Hegemony. 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 That's how we... (laughs) But that's the easiest way. Pat someone on the back, tell them about the show. Maybe if you don't want to tell them, just sign them up for the newsletter and all of a sudden, pow, they're getting grammaric emails. Sign up your whole address book. Let's let's see if we can get double the email subscriptions this month. All right, and it's free. Idea, buddy. Yeah. So on that note, I suppose we will jump into our little thing with Johnny and Scotty and John here. And then we'll jump in with Olav Phillips. It's a great chat. You guys should enjoy it. And we will pick you up in the outro. Thanks, buddy. Scotty Roberts, uh, um, the Paradigm Symposium. And uh, so, Scotty, can you tell us about this year? Tell our listeners about this year's event. We've been uh, talking about it quite a bit, so we're hoping to have a, have seat, meet some listeners there again this year. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on about this Paradigm Symposium. This is our fourth year doing it. We started in 2012, and we did 2013 and 14, and now we're in 15. And uh, we've got a pretty good lineup for this year, I think. And this lineup, for me, coincides perfectly with what we say the the paradigm is all about. Uh, When Micah Hanks and I originally founded this, it was with the idea of putting together a symposium that bridged that gap between academia and the sciences and alternative science and uh, alternative history, things like that. And so we've got our cast of our regulars. We've got a kind of a a paradigm symposium family of speakers that tend to be there every year, like uh, Nick Redfern, Laird Scranton, uh, Dan Madsen comes almost every year. Thomas Fusco. Uh, Thomas Fusco. And uh, um, Micah Hanks, of course. He was one of the founding members of the Paradigm Symposium. And, uh, and of course, John Ward, uh, who is uh, my business partner and now now on the Paradigm Symposium and in almost all other things that I'm engaged in, uh, Intrepid Magazine, Intrepid Radio, all of those things. And so uh, that's uh, we've got our regulars here. We've got Jim Harold back from the Paranormal Podcast, who's going to be, like he did last year, moderating all of our panel discussions. And then uh, our cast of speakers is uh, is pretty unique this week, this year. We've got, as our keynote speaker, Lon Milo Duquette. And uh, he's uh, he's an occultist and a hermeticist. And what's interesting about about that is people they hear the word occult when they're not in these circles, and they think, "Ooh, Satan!" And it, it, it's not what it's about. Occult just means ancient mysteries, ancient knowledge. And uh, um, he is uh, uh, an American writer, a lecturer. He's a musician too. He uh, so he's going to be playing some music there for us as well. Kind of a folksy musician. 
and uh, he's this occultist, and he's best known uh, as as an author, and he applies a lot of humor to all of the of the stuff he speaks about in Western Hermeticism. And so he's going to be a very interesting guest, uh, and he'll be doing our keynote. We have Randall Carlson, who was at the Paradigm last year as a friend of uh, Graham Hancock's, who was one of our speakers, but uh, Randall didn't speak, but he's with Sacred Geometry International. And uh, I don't even want to get into trying ex to explain what Sacred Geometry International is all about, but but uh, that's who Randall Carlson is. And, and you know, if you folks are, uh, your listeners are, are, are into this stuff, it's, it's all this, uh, he's a, uh, um, a third generation builder, a professional builder. He's an, he's into architecture. He's into, into building methods. Uh, he was a Freemason. He's a master of one of the oldest lodges in Georgia. And, uh, he really, uh, strives to bridge the gap between archaic systems of knowledge and modern science. Uh, perfect for what we do with the paradigm symposium. And uh, so uh, he's going to be a, ver a very interesting speaker to have on board. Uh, we have Richard Dolan, of course, who most people in these circles know. He's a historian. He likes to be known as a historian and a researcher, but he's really made uh, a name for himself in ufology. Uh, we've got Travis Walton coming in. Uh, Travis Walton, of course, is the one who was, his experience is one of the most controversial UFO abduction experiences in the history of UFO abduction experiences. And uh, they made the the fictionalized movie of him back almost twenty years ago. Now, doesn't that date us all? Yeah, crazy. Uh, Fire in the sky. Not me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was too young to watch it. You were too young. Your parents wouldn't let you watch yeah. it. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Twenty years ago, what was it's I? Probably a good Man. thing too, because it probably would have scared the shit out of me. It was a it was a freaky movie. I got to tell you that. And. Uh, uh, of course, now it's a lot less freaky with everything we know nowadays, it seems to be. Yeah. But uh, he'll be here. They're also going to be uh, screening uh, the new movie Travis, which is the new documentary. Uh, and one of our other speakers, Peter Robbins, who is very well known as a ufologist and an author. Uh, he wrote uh, the book Left at East Gate on the Rendlesham um, incident. And uh, he's been a speaker for I think of 30 years on this stuff, but uh, he's one of the producers on that movie. And they're also bringing along the producer of that movie. Uh, Barry Fitzgerald is going to be here again. Uh, he was of course the, uh, the Irishman, the Irishman made famous uh, at least publicly uh, via ghost hunters international, that television show. Uh, we've got, uh, of course we mentioned Thomas uh, Fusco, Micah Hanks. We've got Dr. Rita Louise is going to be here. She's a researcher and a cosmologist. Uh, Dan Madsen, my dear friend of uh, 35 years, uh, who is, uh, he seems like, I remember the first time I asked Dan to speak, he said, ah, what am I going to speak on, Scotty? <laughs> and uh, because what he did, like all of us, we all have these curiosities we had as kids that really drove us as young adults into doing what we do now. The things you guys do now and the things that you're involved with. They all come out of those childhood curiosities. Well, Dan took that in a different direction, and he ended up founding the the first official Star Trek <laughs> fan club newsletter back in the early 70s. And it was done so well. I mean, he did it, and he, I think he Xerox copied them. I remember I, I that's how I met him. I became a fan club member, and I got the little newsletter, um, and it was a little uh, uh, black and white Xerox, and it was folded and stapled. And he mailed them out that way. and But he got noticed by Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. 
And uh, Gene Roddenberry loved what he was doing. And one day just called him out of the blue and said uh, uh, he and Paramount Studios wanted to put out their own official fan club magazine to revive Star Trek. And they could think of nobody better other than Dan Madsen. And so that was his, his foot in the door. And uh, he, he did the Star Trek fan clubs magazine that expanded into Lucasfilms magazines, the Star Wars magazines, the uh, uh, Indiana Jones magazines. Uh, he did, uh, I think the last thing he did before he sold off his company was the, the uh, Lord of the Rings series of magazines. And uh, so he became kind of a magazine mogul, a publishing mogul within uh, uh, the science fiction fantasy realm. And he's very well known. And uh, so I said, Dan, that's what you speak on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's been a crowd favorite. Ed Nightingale is going to be here this year. He was here last year, the first time ever he had done a presentation. And uh, uh, very much into the, that heavy-handed geometry, mathematic side of the Giza Plateau. And there's been a lot of things written about the Giza Plateau. I mean, every time you turn around, there's a new book or three about the Giza Plateau. And uh, But he's gone into it mathematically and gives a phenomenal presentation on understanding why that thing was built the way it was. The whole, the, 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 the Sphinx and the three pyramids and the temples and so on. Nick Redfern's going to be here again. We all know Nick Redfern. As a matter of fact, uh, uh Rick From Redfern. the time we started the, 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 this conversation until now, he's probably pumped out another 72,000-word book. <laughs> but uh, um, phenomenal speaker, phenomenal author in this field. The thing is, uh, too, he really makes an effort to hang out with everybody. He really... He does. He, just, he loves to he hang just, out. Like, he's the most casual guy there. Absolutely. And I'm going to speak about uh, with you for just a minute about that hanging out part uh, once I go through the, the speakers here. Uh, we've got Laird Scranton, who we've talked about, linguist, researcher, author, cosmologist. Sarah Soderland, uh, she's got a show on uh, our IPBN network. Um, and she does, uh, she's a, I knew her originally as Paranormal Sarah. She was a, a, uh, a psychic and a medium who came to some of the events that I was at in the late uh, 2000s. And um, uh, she's now a, a doctoral candidate for her parapsychology, forensic psych, uh, psycho, psych, uh, psychopathology. Too many psychos to, to uh, talk about tonight. And, uh, and she's also in that paranormal realm. And she does a show called Mysteries of the Mind on our network. And uh, she's a phenomenal speaker. Rocky Stucci's going to be here. Uh, he's a paranormalist. He's uh, big into politics now, too. Uh, uh, he is uh, one of the co-owners of our IPBN, Alternative Talk Radio Network, and also of the new uh, W, what was it, WTZR-FM in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, uh, which is going to be launching right around the time of uh, the Paradigm Symposium. And so some of our shows are going to port over to the new terrestrial radio network as well. Uh, we've got James Swagger from Ireland. He's uh, into ancient megaliths. Uh, not as well known over here, but people in these circles know him. And uh, Jessalyn Wildflower Devereaux. Uh, she's a shamanic practice. She's going to be speaking as well. And, uh, and of course, John Ward, my partner. And uh, I, I always have to qualify that. Not that yeah, there's anything yeah, wrong I was going to say. Not my life partner. He is my business partner, my <laughs> co-author, and so on. Co-host. Co-host. Uh, we've got a couple of new books coming out this next year as well, so we've been working hard and heavy. And uh, there's the the banquet this year is a separate ticket for people. 
Uh, you can buy the ticket for all the lectures, but you got to come to the banquet. Is, it still, a, is that still a masquerade uh, ball or it's something? It's a masquerade cocktail party. And this was kind of John's idea. The original concept John gave me was, Scotty, we need to do the banquet as a masquerade ball. And I said, I'm really a masquerade ball? I said, who's going to come to a masquerade ball? I said, that's a little hoity too. That's not like wearing your alien costume. That's, that's uh, you know, heavy-handed. And, and I said, what do you mean masquerade? And he says, well, you know, like, remember that Tom Cruise movie, Eyes Wide Shut? He says, something like that. I said, really? I said, uh, sex on the tables and all that? And he goes, well, no, no, we won't do that part. But um, So masquerade cocktail party. And it's followed by the banquet in the dinner theater. We've got uh, a good friend of mine. I used to do the uh, Minnesota Renaissance Festival for years. I was part of the Royal Court and part of the uh, the cast out there for 15-plus years. Uh, huzzah, my lord! And, uh, you know, where else can a guy dress like Errol Flynn, you know, with uh, uh, leather doublets and, you know, the shirt collars open and, and uh, black tights and black leather boots over the knee and swords and, danger, and daggers dangling from his belt and you're, swagger. You're going to be doing that? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, that might be my masquerade outfit. Oh. Who knows? But uh, one of my friends from the festival uh, plays a character, Oliver Greenleaf Holmes. Oh. And, uh, he's going to be doing a little theater. Uh, in my mind, we're setting it up in the round during the dinner. But he does uh, the the wildly inappropriate poetry of Oliver Greenleaf Holmes. There's going to be a fairly R-rated presentation. But uh, uh, it, it'll be a hell of a lot of fun, too, though. It, just to give you an example, just the title of one of his poems. The title is, I Built My Love a Menstrual Hut. So um, there you go. That's That's the kind of humor it is. And so it's going to be fun. It's going to be very different and entertaining. And, of course, uh, panel discussions afterwards into the late night hours. And uh, it's all going to be held at the Crown Plaza, Mall of America. It's five minutes from the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport and five minutes from the Mall of America. They run shuttles all day. And we're going to be housed at the uh, Crown Plaza and also doing the event at the Crown Plaza this year. So it's all going to be self-contained. Nice. So, and I mentioned, I was I was going to mention very quickly, which you, you talked about, that family and the entertainment Half of the, the, the thing about the Paradigm Symposium is not just coming and listening to these speakers. And I like to, to refer to these people as these are the great thinkers of our day. Whether you agree with everything about them or not, they're the people that put the effort in and they're the great thinkers. They're the Socrates and the Platos of our day. And I've, I've even had people say, well, are you going to... Are you going to stream this, you know, and, and the, the hidden question being so I can I can watch it for $15 at home instead of paying $280 to attend? And I, I say, absolutely not. We're not going to stream this because we believe that there is value to sitting at the feet of great teachers. And that's what this is going to be about. And not only do you sit at the feet of these people and listen to them throughout the day, but they stay, and as you two know so well, uh, they stay after hours with everybody else, and there's music, impromptu music that pl comes up. Micah Hanks plays, and and uh, one of our regular attendees, Jesse Roja, and uh, uh, David Mendez. You even had Jim Harold singing last year. <laughs> so, um, uh, so there's the music, there's the there's the hanging out, and uh, it, it's the after hours, which we've affectionately dubbed the after effects of Paradigm Symposium every night there, and that's where people sit around. And they talk about all the things they've learned during the day. They get to sit with these speakers. That's one of the things I've always asked of our speakers uh, when we contract them for these this event, is that 
you don't give your lecture and then go up to your room and spend the rest of your room ordering room service and watching cable. You've got to be down here mingling with the people. And uh, we need you at the panel discussions. We need you at the after hours. We need you to to, to mingle with everybody. And, and i got to tell you, one of the best stories I ever had of that is Eric Von Daniken, you know, uh, icon in his field. The first year we had him at the Paradigm Symposium. And I saw him uh, with, he had a drink in hand and his, and his cigarettes, and he went out to have a smoke outside the side door of the hotel. And he was sitting out on this little marble bench, and uh, a couple walked up to him, a young couple, very sheepishly, kind of like, oh, hello, Mr. Van Nanigan, just wanted to meet you, and very honored to meet you. And, and he says right away, he pats the bench next to him, and he says, he says, ah, sit down right here next to me, and we talk for a while. And they sat there for a half an hour talking to Eric Von Daniken. <laughs> the, thing and, I like, uh, the thing I like about it is how the guests... Uh... And the speakers talk about talk amongst themselves, and they seem to cor- correlate a lot of their ideas, and they they realize that there's a lot of overlapping things that they're they're presenting on it. Kind of kind of a way to yeah to evolve the conversation. And that's what I like about these uh, our speakers, and that's what I like about this event. Um, uh, the the late Philip Coppins, who was a a, a friend of mine. Um, he uh, said uh, he was at the Paradigm Symposium 2012 in October. It was the third weekend of the month, so it was the 18th through the 21st of October back in 2012. And two months later, he was dead. Yeah. Um, but uh, sometime a week or so after that event, he put out this statement officially. He didn't even give it to us. He just We didn't even know he said it until somebody else pointed it out. He said the Paradigm Symposium has quickly become the number one alternative conference in the United States, if not the world. And uh, that was his take on, on uh, what happened here. And even Eric Von Daniken himself said, uh, he said, everything about the Paradigm Symposium, you can see it on our website, he said, everything about the Paradigm Symposium was wonderful, from uh, the event itself down to the coordinators, which would be me and Micah, and, uh, um, and everything that went on, and he said it was a perfect event. And uh, so that first year just launched us in a big way, and uh, uh, we're still going on in here in 2015. This is our fourth year, and uh, we're really building a family of followers, and that's what's nice about this, is that the people who come to the Paradigm Symposium, I refer to them as followers, they're, they're really attendees that have become part of the family of what we do, and that increases every year. Yeah, right so, now we're looking forward to it, for sure. Yeah, we should have a few listeners can pop in there and meet us. And our listeners are, um, <clears throat> we've done a few episodes with Randall now, and he's a favorite in our uh, yeah. in our circle for sure. I'm sure there's a lot of people looking forward to seeing him there. He'll, him and Ed will be yes. in the studio in a couple of weeks here. That's coming fantastic. Coming to the Igloo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. Well, uh, yeah, is there anything else you got to say before we let you go here? Well, that's pretty much it for the Paradigm Symposium. Uh, all I would like to say is if you don't have tickets, uh, come on over. And uh, um, tickets are available at the website, paradigmsymposium.com. And, and again, uh, it's October 1st, right? October 1st through the 4th. It's the first weekend in October. Um, if you're Jewish, that's a Yom Kippur. <laughs> so we actually had one of our sponsors last year uh, the, that is Jewish, and he said, he said, that's Yom Kippur. That'll be a tough weekend for me. Uh, we were trying to get Shimka Yakubovici, uh last year, and again this year, and the Yom Kippur uh, conflicted for him because he lives in Israel, and he's, he said, if you can, you can fly me in, uh, I'll speak on Thursday, but you got to have me back by Saturday morning hmm. or uh, Shabbat. Hmm. So uh, 
um, the first weekend in October and uh, be here. Uh, I mean, it's, it's well worth the effort and the time to come, and you're going to walk away. We, we say come uh, anticipating uh, thinking and leave absolutely inspired. Right on, Scotty. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, Graham. Okay, guys, in America tonight, we're going to be chatting with Olav Phillips. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. How's it going, buddy? Nice shirt. Hey, thanks, buddy. It's my... Is that Cthulhu? No, it's like my spiritual... Or uh, Vishnu. Yeah, it's one of those things. Or is it Vishnu or Vishnu? I don't know, maybe. Be like Bob or I don't V? Know. I don't know. But we've, I'm excited tonight because we got Olav Phillips here. Actually, uh, Greg Carlwood from THC, I, I keep in touch with him every once in a while, and I was asking for uh one of his favorite guests i was like who do you who should i talk to about like ufos and occult and stuff and he mentioned you olav and i'll just uh, read a little bit here from your from your website it, olav's a conspiracy oh. researcher <laughs> specializing in the secret space program exotic aircraft high technology foreign policy prehistory and mysterious civilizations and you're also the owner of the anomalies channel it's a website you've got some videos on there and some interesting blogs lots of stuff to talk about um welcome to the show olav it's good to have you here well thanks for having me yeah yeah so greg was uh you're on you're on the top of greg's list for for guests that we should have on so we're, we're kind of similar to to greg's show and we thought uh yeah we talk about ufos a lot and, and conspiracies so we thought we'd have you on and ask you what's what's new what's going on with uh with your anomalies well, channel and well, first of all, a big shout out to Greg Carlwood. You know, he's a he's a good guy. He's got a hell of a podcast, and you know, I've heard about you guys too for a long time. So it's it's really an honor to be on your show. So I just want to get get that out of the way in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, thanks, you know, buddy. Yeah, yeah, thanks. The honor is truly oh, yeah. ours. Yeah, we. Oh, uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so what? I mean, I I was just checking out your website a little bit, and and I saw this. Uh, yeah this crazy video and I don't really, we don't really usually just get specific and talk about certain videos, but I'm noticing a lot of atmospheric phenomena kind of videos. And, you know, you can kind of put chemtrails into the mix with all that. But uh, I noticed this one on your website there. It looked like a, um, a f what did they, what did you call it? A flash, some sort of flash. Yeah. It, it, I really can't explain to you what that is. Um, it's, it's almost like there's a, I don't know, like a lens that's that's projecting light through a through a cloud. Mm -hmm. It's very odd. Ooh, is that because like the, the flashing one the, that attacks a car? No, no. Yeah, it because the the light is actually cylindrical. That it's not it's not just like diffuse light. It's actually concentrated. Like you're shining. It's like somebody shining a flashlight 
through a cloud and it, i've never seen anything like it yeah it's very yeah it, that's exactly what it looks like it's very strange and you can tell it's not really it doesn't look faked or anything like that it really does look like no. there's something sitting in the, the cloud reflecting. It, oh do you it, it's legit i mean it, you know the only thing that i can explain right is something like harp where they're using focused energy and that's that's screwing with the upper atmosphere it's really the only explanation I could give you for that. Hmm. <laughs> Bizarre. So, you know, I, I've been at this for a while, and, you know, it's not very often that I come across something where, you, you know, there's no rational explanation. So what what do you think of... Uh, do, do you follow... <laughs> what, what do you follow the most right now? Are you following ufology a little bit and some of that kind of stuff, or are you all over the place? You know, um... I tend to use ufology as a as kind of an outer marker, okay. Um, to to see because I think a lot of ufology is is it's being played. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't think that for me like a lot of times when I see stuff emerging in ufology that it's it seems to be kind of an outer marker of something else going on. For example, you know, you go on the web and you see you see a a posting about, oh, look, it's a triangular UFO. And, and it's like you look at it, it's like that's triangular, sure, but it's not a UFO. I mean, that's a, it's a goddamn plane. <laughs> you know? So I use it as a, as a way to find some of the exotic aircraft because there are a lot of people that are looking. And I think that if you look at the exotic aircraft, and you can tell a lot about where we're all going, right? As a society, you mean? Or? No, no, no. I mean, the military-industrial right. complex. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, because, like, one of the things that, that I, I enjoy is, is nighttime, nighttime video of UFOs. And, you know, you see a lot of times, like, you'll see these kind of, like, shapes, and, and they'll move across the sky, and then you'll see, like, like stars shifting and things like that. And a lot of people will say, oh, that's a UFO, it's changing shape. Look, it's alien, alien, alien. And it's like, for me, I look at that and I say, that's not alien, that's adaptive camouflage. Right, so now I know, I can see that they're using adaptive camouflage and I can see that some of these technologies are being perfected. And then that leads into my other my other interest, which is a secret space program. Oh, yeah. So I think a lot of times, if you look at the UFO movement, if you look at what they're seeing, if you look at what they're photographing, you're actually looking at the secret space program. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. What drives me nuts is, is a lot of the stuff you see in the media is easily debunkable videos and stuff. And it, sure. and it kind of pisses me off that it, it just, it's it's like it just gives the people that aren't sure about it an easy sort of an easy out, right? When when the when the headlines show right. up and you go in and you look at it, and it's like really nothing there. When there's a lot a lot oh. of you know decent footage that you can't just debunk right away that's not talked about. Yeah, and and you know for me, I try I try very hard to be a realist about it. You know, I'm an nuts and bolts guy. I don't I don't buy into you know exotic you know start like the Federation of, you know, United Federation of Planets or anything like that. You know, so I try to approach these objects, what we're seeing, because people see stuff. I mean, that's the truth. 
and I try to approach it from the point of view of, <clears throat> okay, it's an object, right? It's flown by someone. It's doing something. So let's try to understand who's flying it, why they're flying it. You know, and I, and I try to stay out of the spirituality aspect of it. And I think that, that keeps me safe, <laughs> safer because the minute you kind of enter, not that that's bad. I mean, if, if that's your thing, okay. But, you know, for me, I see it, I don't see them as, as <clears throat> anything other than concrete, definable um, objects. They're me- mechanical, you know. Yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that too. I, th- I think if you're traveling this far, maybe you're doing it not in a ship. I like secret space program stuff. Yeah. Have you gone to like yeah. Area 51 and stake that out? You know, um, I'm actually uh, talking to a friend of mine about staking it out a little differently. Uh, we <clears throat> we uh, want to go, although right now you know it's kind of summer, so this is the worst. <laughs> time in the world it's like 120 degrees you know but <laughs> yeah it's real bad <laughs> but you know we we have something we want to try so we're yeah we're definitely going to stake it out i mean i've driven past it i've gotten as close as you can get to it but that's not saying much <laughs> there's a there's a big hill between you <laughs> can you can you can you uh, give us a little hint no, because then we'll guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I give you a hint of of what we want to do? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll be on BLM land. <laughs> Excuse me. I'll I'll be a, a ways away from uh, from Area Fifty One. I mean, we'll be, you know, where we can legitimately be, but we're going to try to take some. I got it. Take some photos. Yeah. <laughs> Not using a telephoto lens. <laughs> I got but it. But we'll, we'll yeah. be on, it, it'll be legit. Because, you know, one of the things about Area 51, right, and this goes for Dugway and all those other things, you know, you, you hear these, I'm going to sneak on there and I'm going to get those amazing photos and whatever. You know, the truth is, is number one, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> number two, those places are so locked down that they use ammonia sensors they can actually smell the ammonia coming off your skin and your sweat. So unless you wear a neoprene suit, you're never going to get anywhere near it. So yeah, don't even bother. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And Bruce, Bruce Burgess, you know, back in the nineties, Bruce Burgess, he tried to fly a Cessna in there and they, uh, they buzzed him with an F-16 in the jet wash, like threw that plane around. <laughs> so, <laughs> They buzzed the Cessna 172 with an F-16, <laughs> but that. <laughs> he flew, oh, he was flying too close? <sighs> Man, that'd be scary. Yeah, he, he was Yeah, he was approaching the, the barrier, the border, and uh, the guys on the radio told him to turn around. The pilot's like, well, I'm still in, you know, I'm still in legit airspace, and they decided to scare him, so they sent, some, sent an F-16 up there. That F-16 was about as low down on the throttle as he could swing it without, you know, stalling <laughs> he goes past that 172 the whole 172 shaking bad news so how do you go about trying to tell between uh like let's say you see you hear a lot of reports and there's some about 
you know, big Walmart-sized craft, and then there's the big black triangles and all. Do you have some theories about what c- kind of craft that you think are in this? Like, we can speculate here for sure, like, what kind of craft sure. you would think are in, in uh, the Secret Space Program as opposed to something sure. that you wouldn't uh, wouldn't say that? Well, I think I think that especially the black triangles are, are part of it. Um, <clears throat> some of the, I think some of the cylindrical stuff that people see is part of it. Um, there are smaller triangles that have been sighted all over the place now throughout the south. Um, I don't, I don't think they are. I think those are a new type of uh, maybe call it a successor to, to yeah, maybe call it a successor to the Aurora. Um, they're they're using a different kind of um, propulsion system that the Aurora used a donut on or used a pulse detonation engine, yeah. which produces a donut on a rope. And I've actually seen it. So have I. I've I seen saw an Aurora. I yeah. saw it uh, going perpendicular to a flight down south to California once. I saw it in Washington State. I saw it at night, and it oh. was going from uh, east east to west. <sighs> and so I saw the flashes. Um, but and, and the donut shaped contrail. Well, I the, the contrail was harder to see. I could see kind of see it. Yeah. But it was at night, so it was the moon. But I saw something altogether much more weird than that. Uh, which I think is the second, the successor. Um, <clears throat> but there's a different one that used something called an aerospike engine, which is a lot more powerful and a lot faster. What, what did so you call I it, sorry? That, aero, aero what? Aerospike. Aerospike? Yeah, so it has. it's a way that they channel the channel the air through the airframe and they they ignite the fuel. And then they, the way it's pushed out the back, that they're, it's like spread out, and it's, it, it comes out in a kind of triangle, huh. on the backside. So like, is that sort yeah, of new new technology to the scramjet kind of? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's much faster. The, yeah. With an aerospike, if you're going Mach five, Mach six, you're going slow. Wow. Yeah. It's impressive. And, and you know, I, I took a bunch of these photos that people had taken over the south, in the south uh, southeast at the time, and I blew them up. <laughs> I have a big monitor. <laughs> I blew them up um, using different tools. And, and you can actually see the, you can see the, the thrust or the um, engine vents. They're, they heat up, you know, and, and I mean, they have, you know, fire coming out of them, so to speak, right? But you can see them actually in the photos, and you can see the contrails that they produce. And the contrails are are flat and wide. So what you'll see is two flat and wide contrails versus two narrow and and kind of a cylindrical. Yeah. 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 Like if you see a normal two-engine aircraft, like a 757 or something, come trails aside, if you see one of those with a normal contrail, you're going to get something that's thin and long and, and kind of tubular. These are flat, and they're they're flat, kind of rectangular contrails, and there are two of them, one on each wing. Hmm. Yeah, like I said, I'm a nuts and bolts guy, you know. I see this stuff, and I try to find a rational explanation. So that means that I have to go and look at, you know, genes, and I have to go look at, you know, Aerospace Week, and I have to go out and do the research to try to figure out what I'm actually seeing. Yeah. You know, to me, it's, like, it's the cop-out to simply say, well, it's a UFO, there are aliens in it. Well... Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. You know, there <laughs> there are some that are, and there are a lot that aren't, <laughs> you know. The, who, who we were just talking to that was saying kind of the same thing, that it's more likely they're Earth-based than 
Was that last night? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know, but we, we have, I mean, we of course that comes up a lot, the whole ETH versus, you know, sp- secret space program thing. It is fascinating. Sure. Do, do you find that when you go to like Jane's or Aerospace Week, do, do, you, do, you, find some, do you find some, well, the inner earth, that's a whole other topic, yeah. But do, do you find do you find that uh, that you get some hints from those mainstream sort of publications yeah. or? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you get breadcrumbs. You know, there are breadcrumbs. You just you have to look for it. You know that it's a process of research, and I think that's kind of where ufology and, and conspiracy theories and things, you know, sometimes fall flat. That they don't they don't put the time in to actually research it. That they come to a conclusion and they. They cop out and say, okay, well, that's that's the result. For example, right, <clears throat> you look at Alternative 3. That's my secret space program. You know, for, for nigh on 20 years, everybody laughed at it and said, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, no, nobody believed in it. it was, that's crap. You know, watch it. It's bad acting. And it does. It has bad acting. It's, it's funny to watch. But, you know, <clears throat> I started to look at it systematically versus just poo-pooing it and saying, well, that's a pile of keeping shit. I'm not going to watch that, you know, although, you know, it's got a great soundtrack. If you like Electronica, oh, that's yeah. a fantastic soundtrack. That's alternative, that's alternative three, right? Yeah. It's the soundtrack is done by Brian Eno. Nice. Who's very famous. Yeah. So, you know, I started to look at it and I started to watch it. I said, you know, there's something to this, but it's too, it's too defined. But, you know, normally when you watch a movie, there's plot holes and, you know, it's like uh, Kirk Douglas wearing his wristwatch in Spartacus, you know, there's, there's <laughs> continuity problems, you know, and all that stuff, right? But in alternative two, there isn't. Huh. It, it, it's, con- it's contiguous. And, and I started to realize that <clears throat> there was something to it structurally. So for, for shits and giggles, I went out one day and I said, you know what? If this is true, then that means that something bad is coming, some people met about it, and that there were three options, right? That, that should be, I thought to myself, that should be really easy to prove, right? Okay. Because you have the, you have the approximate date. So the thing came out in 77, and you can roll backwards and try to get a better idea of, of what was going on. And so you start to look at it, and then you realize, you know, I mean, the secret space program, well, I'll start in the beginning. So there, you know, there's a meeting, right? And in that, and they define the meeting. They say, okay, in this meeting, that the scientists of the world came together and basically figured out we were screwed, right? That, yep. that whatever, something bad was going to happen. And, you know, I don't care. You want to think that climate change is made by people. You want to think it's made by the earth. You want to think it's made by aliens, whatever. It's here. Yeah. Right, and then they said they said in 1957 there was a meeting where they basically said that. And if you if you talk to Guy McPherson, he'll go back further. He'll show you evidence that they knew about it back in the 30s that we were screwed. Right, mm-hmm. and and actually, I get, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But so I thought to myself, they're telling me about this meeting. I should be able to find the meeting. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, so I did. It's a 1957 American Chemical Society meeting. Top chemists, biochemists, biologists in the world meeting to discuss the state of, you know, biology, chemistry. There's a guy, his name escapes me right now. He did a, he was an expert on phytoplankton. Mm-hmm. It was 1957. 
He's an expert on phytoplankton. Now, phytoplankton are supposedly the air scrubbers of the universe. And what these guys, little guys do is that, you know, we dump carbon dioxide in the air, and then the phytoplankton convert it and scrub it out from being carbon dioxide to something more breathable. Same thing trees do, same kind of concept, right? Right. So this guy says in 57, he says, you know what? As of right now, the phytoplankton can only process, I think, 40 or 50% of the amount of CO2 that's being generated in, in industrialized the industrialized world. So at that point, things start happening. Now, I have a rough map. I'm looking at the show, made a few notes, right? Alternative one, they set off a high-altitude nuclear detonation to try to blow a hole in the atmosphere to vent the carbon dioxide and other garbage into space. Sounds asinine, right? But, you know, in the late 50s, government did things like this, okay? Hmm. So I, I thought to myself, well, I found a meeting. I should be able to find the high-altitude detonation. So I searched and searched and searched, and I found... The highest high-altitude nuclear detonation ever was done by something called um, Operation Argus. Operation Argus, uh, when you actually dig into it, is very interesting. They had some of the most sophisticated radar and ships in the world on this thing. They planned it in under a year. Usually it took like three years. They planned it in like six months. The idea was from this guy named Christophilos, who believed that if you set off a nuclear device in the upper atmosphere... You could create a uh, like an artificial Van Allen radiation belt and deflect solar radiation using it, <clears throat> and that that was successful. But you know, it's the only, it's the highest high altitude test ever carried out. They did it in a quarter of the time it normally takes. They had the the creme de la creme of, of the scientific elite on this thing, and they classified it until like 1987. I think <laughs> they classified the results until 1987. And I thought to myself, holy crap, that's it. That's number one. Okay. So number I thought two. to myself, yeah. yeah. So number two is building bunkers. The, the idea all, the underground, they, all the underground stuff? The dumbs, the deep underground military bunkers. Huh. And, and you know, I, I don't have to tell you about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that that would include, dumb, that would include places like Dulce and and uh, all these other sort of places that sure. you're talking about. Sure, but what you're mainly looking at is continuity of government facilities, right? Um, you know, like Raven Rock or you know Cheyenne Mountain or Denver the Airport, the Nordic Seafall, Denver Airport, maybe. <laughs> and you know, the Seafall is a very interesting thing. You know, we hear about the Nordic Seed Vault in Svalheim. Yeah. It's actually one of it's actually one of twelve wow. people around wow. the world. It's not the only one. And there's no genetically modified seeds in there. It's all heritage seeds. So <laughs> so are, are you saying that you you think that the uh that the reason or the or the threat identified in the meeting is was more of a natural one than, than something uh intentionally that's a, that's the one thing that I can't figure out. And the, the one thing that I, I refuse to commit to. Right, right. That, you know, I can tell you that it's coming. I can tell you the outliers of showing you that it's coming. I can tell you structurally how they're going to respond to it. That's number, book number two. But, you know, the, the actual thing that causes it, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's climate change. 
I don't know if it's an asteroid because we got a lot of options, right? They, yeah. you know, there's this <laughs> there's this asteroid called Apophis, and yeah. And if you ever want a great audio clip to play on your podcast, they'll just make people scared as shit. <laughs> play play Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about Apophis. Uh, sorry, sorry, a, po- a pos what? A pos? Pos. Oh, okay. What's that? So it's it's a very big asteroid. Oh, that is gonna that is gonna fly by us. I think in um, don't hold me to this, guys. But I think it's like <laughs> a year or two. It's gonna fly by us very close. It's not gonna hit us. But there's a keyhole. They it's called a keyhole. It's basically a stretch of space around the Earth that if it hits this thing, you can actually judge where it will impact based on where it is inside this this uh, rectangular space. Hmm. And it's actually pretty big. You know, it's it's hundreds and hundreds of miles wide, this keyhole. Well, he starts off the lecture by saying, you know, you know, they... Uh, Apophis is the, is the, the uh, god, one of the gods of the dead. And he said, he said, you know, they named this asteroid after Apophis. They didn't name it Bambi. <laughs> you know, right. So... And then he goes on to graphically explain to you what will happen if it actually strikes. And it's very, very scary. Ooh, I found it. So, but, you know, you have other options, too. You've got, you know, Yellowstone. Is it going to blow? You know, you've got all these all these uh, earthquakes and things happening around, you know, the Ring of Fire. You've got a lot of volcanism around the Ring of Fire right now. So all these things could produce problems. So, so I, you know, the show, the movie as it is outlined to you, seems to indicate that it's, it's man-made. You know, and a lot of the things that it talked about at the time are coming true. You know, they they said, oh, it was the twelfth year of drought. Well, you know, down in California, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where are we at? <laughs> right. You know, the I mean, the the reservoirs are dry. I mean, they're not kind of low. They're dry. So, so, <laughs> right? so what's what's alternative three then? Is it leaving the planet? It's leaving. Yeah, it's leaving the planet and going to Mars by way of the moon. That's the that's the, the secret last, space program, right? And, and that that you know the the American military, the Army, and the Air Force in the late fifties, around the time of the American Chemical Society meeting, they drafted plans to build um, moon bases. Hmm. One was called Horizon. Yeah, one was called Horizon. Uh, the other was called Lunax. Horizon was Army. Lunax was the Air Force. <clears throat> the um, the Russians did at the same time as well. They call it Svezda. So you know and, we've got everybody. In, huh? You know, well, you know what's interesting? Just thinking about it. So you're talking about '57, right? This meeting in '57. Right. Wasn't '58 um, that meeting about the media? Uh, Ah, you know, this happened twice to me on the show. Where is an hour in the the mass media complex thing? No, it's it's that. Uh, oh, now I'm going to have to find it. But it's <laughs> okay. interesting that it was it was basically how to use the media to debunk UFOs and all that, right? It was the oh sure, <clears throat> oh blue book, right? No, yeah. that was that wasn't Roger either. I'll, I'll find no, I'll find the I'll find the meeting. But anyways, it's interesting that that's kind of yeah. It's about that would, the same time that would come after the fifty-seven would be okay. How are we going to manage this in the public eye? And then they come right. up with a meeting to to show how to well, ridicule 
and how to make everything look like uh, and, space aliens and everything. And, and it's worse than that. Starting in the late 50s through the 60s, the KGB and the CIA were infiltrating UFO groups, right, and going on skywatches because they, the CIA was convinced that the KGB was infiltrating these, these groups like NICAP and, and Narfon and all these other guys. And the KGB was actually infiltrating these groups because they believed that if they went into these groups and went on these skywatches, right, that they would see advanced aircraft, that they were convinced that the UFOs that people were seeing were advanced aircraft. But here's the kicker. Here's how you know we're really got a problem. So in the in the early 40s, Franklin, Franklin Roosevelt, FDR, commissioned a thing called the M Project. That was led by a guy named Henry Fields. This is like the Fields Museum in Chicago, Fields Department Store. The guy was loaded. He was an anthropologist. So they spent four million dollars in 19 like 1942. They spent like four million dollars. Seventy uh, researchers, you know, sociologists, anthropologists, doctors, psychiatrists, everything you can think of, plus like three secretaries. They spent they spent I think four years doing an analysis of how what would happen to the population of the earth if large portions of the earth were no longer you could no longer sustain life on them hmm. and it's called the m project what, what, did, what did they do, do you know what some of the the major points that they came up with like is it possible well, to what, su- survive when major parts uh no 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 the the ultimate the ultimate uh outcome at least one of them was to go to mars Right. And I find that fascinating because, you know, here you go, you've got maybe 10 years later, you know, they're blowing holes in the atmosphere, you know. So, I mean, they knew. They knew a long time ago. And and it's always it's always about Mars for some reason. It's always, let's go to Mars, let's go to Mars, let's go to Mars. Mars is always the option. Hmm. Where, where so, you, like I said... Hmm? Where do you think uh, things like the orange orbs fit into that? Like, uh, we we talked to Terry Ray about uh, uh, orange orbs and how they seem to react and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on that or do you have any you like know, probes um, or? A lot of, a lot of times, like if you're talking about the orbs that the people to see the orange ones that people to see flying around in the sky. Yeah. Are, yeah. I think a lot of those are monitoring and I think some of those are confusion. Right. Because let's let's think about the A twelve. Are you guys familiar with the A twelve? No, it's a, a plane. I'm assuming. Yeah, it's a plane. It was built by the Lockheed Skunk Works. The Warthog. No, that's no, not no, the no. Warthog. It, eh? <laughs> no, the A twelve was a was an aircraft that was funded by the CIA, um, and and built by the Skunk Works at Area fifty one. Okay. It's the proto. It's a prototype for the SR seventy one. Oh, okay. A twelve okay. was actually. It was actually longer. It was a couple of feet longer, and it had a metallic skin. Right, right. So that theoretically, it, yeah, it could <clears throat> reflect reflect the sky, and you couldn't see it very well. So when they started launching the A twelve, right, and they started making, they they were actually running missions over Russia, and the and the Soviet Union at the time. The CIA came in, and stepped in, and said, "Okay, you know, <clears throat> we're going to send some guys out to start to pepper these." these UFO groups that we've infiltrated in the late 50s 
to <laughs> to start to tell them, hey, that's a UFO, hey, that's a UFO, hey, that's a UFO. No, you didn't see an airplane, that was a UFO. So they, they tried to muddy the water. So I think some of these things that people see may, may be objects of confusion. Um, they may be monitoring systems, and they may honestly be something transdimensional that I have no idea what it is. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell. Would you take credence? Darren, Darren mentioned earlier about the inner Earth. Would you take any credence to like that being the? I mean, especially with all the underwater submersibles, like the USOs. I mean, what do you think about sure. that hypothesis? Is a possibility? You know? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't try to put limits on things, right? Right. What I try to do is is to use. I try to approach it scientifically. You see something, you try to understand what that thing is. And if it comes back again, can you explain what it is reproducible, you know, repetitively, right? I try not to apply rules to things to say that things are impossible. Because I know some, I know some guys who have done some amazing research that will tell you categorically that the Earth exists. You know? The, 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 what, I, the inner Earth, yeah, yeah. The inner earth exists. I know a guy, you know, very well. I trust him <laughs> with my life. He had a conversation with a guy. I sorry, I got to keep it somewhat nebulous. Yeah, yeah. If he's no listening. He'll, he'll he'll kill me right now. But he had a conversation with a guy, and that guy had been to a place that he believed was a, was a entry point, and it made no rational sense considering where it was and what was going on in it. It should not have been there. And that guy was basically told by some other people, this is an entry point to the inner earth. So I'm, I'm not going to go and tell, tell him, well, that's not possible, because I, I think that's very short-sighted. That if you, you know, I, I think I can explain a lot of UFOs, but I can't explain some. When I, you know, I recently uh, had an article published in Fate, Fate Magazine, <clears throat> where it talks about a UFO sighting that I had when I was in college. And I went to a, a state school in California, and there was a, a little town, kind of like a, a farming, you know, cow pasture kind of town, about 15 minutes from me. So one day, one day I'm, I'm sitting in my, my apartment studying, and the handyman comes and says, hey, you got to go to this town. It's called Dixon. California. You got to go, man. They had a major UFO sighting last night. I know you're a UFO nut. <laughs> at the time, I was a UFO nut, right? You know, and, and I was a UFO nut at that time. And I thought everything was aliens. And so I said, oh, oh crap, I got to go. So I packed up my girlfriend and we went over there. And we were standing out in the cornfield, all these terrible places to stand after UFO sighting. <laughs> I'm standing in a cornfield um, and we're watching, you know. I think upwards of 10 or 11 dots uh, of light, you know, doing circles, making 90-degree turns, mm. things that should kill a human, <laughs> right? So, you know, in retrospect, what did I see? I don't know. Was it alien? It sure seemed like it. Yeah. Could it have been human? Yeah, but it would have to be remotely pilotable or we would need some sort of inertial dampening thing because the the force of those turns, the pressure, the number of Gs that the pilot would have pulled should have killed them. So, what year, what year was that? Know, 
that would have been 90, 98. <laughs> so, you know, but again, I, I'm not entirely sure what I saw. Um, the only thing I know for certain is that at least part of it was human. I know that much because when the ones that weren't doing 90 degree turns that were just kind of hanging around, they came down uh, to maybe a thousand feet off the ground and they were running, they were running lines between these two radio masts and they would go down to one radio mast, roll over and come back to the other radio mast, roll over and go down again. And they were triangular. Hmm. Very odd behavior. But <laughs> and then they started coming toward me. That's when I got in a little TikTok mobile and I took off. <laughs> <laughs> we drove fast. <laughs> so, so you talked about, um, you talked about keeping the spirituality out of the out of the ufology for yourself. Do you, do you have a right. do you have a spiritual practice at all that's sort of uh, you know personal besides you know what while while still keeping that out of your research? You know, I'm I'm a I'm pretty agnostic. Um, you know, I, I studied anthropology, so one of the things that we studied was religion, and you know, I've seen a lot of different ones, and it's hard. It's hard for me to definably say, well, you know, this one's right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I kind of cherry pick it. For myself personally, I cherry pick it a little bit. You know, a little bit of karma, <laughs> you know, sure. and a notion of, you know, one big thing out there somewhere. But I think the older I get, the more I, I, tend, to, I tend to buy into the notion of uh, something that Kroger called a super organic, that there's this kind of um, exterior layer that exists that it's kind of a hive hive mind kind of thing some people call it like the akashic record right yeah. but it's this notion that there, there's some there's some uh etheric uh bound or etheric layer above all of us where you know bits of our knowledge are transferred to and occasionally some people can access it so i think the older i get the more i kind of kind of go toward that direction yeah, but again that's, that's kind know, of what i was getting at yeah not not a religious yeah. sense, but yeah, something like that. Like, what's your view on that? Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it, actually. I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, like the one consciousness, well, you know, the the fact we're all connected. All that old Eastern exactly Eastern mysticism, right? Mm. Yeah, and it's it's the kind of notion of the force, right? That the force permeates all living things. You know, and and it, and it, we're all electricity and energy, and that that you can't destroy energy. You can dissipate it, but you can't destroy energy, yeah. right? So, you know, when when I leave this mortal coil, I have this energy that's got to go somewhere. And I like to think I like to to think in my mind because it makes me feel better that there's some amount of consciousness within that energy that that energy is is transferred into this etheric plane, call it heaven or the Akashic record or whatever you want to call it. That's but again, you know that that is a that's a mechanism that humans have to cope, right? It, but, you know, when you look at a UFO, right, it's like looking at a boat. The boat's got a pilot. <laughs> you know, the boat has a navigation system. It travels through water. Okay? There's no spirituality in that. Hmm. So I, I try. There can be, right? You can have a boat that has, you know, a priest on it or has a shaman or whatever, you know, you're interested in. You can have that on the boat, and the boat can be carrying out a spiritual practice. My ancestors were Vikings, so I'm the first person to tell you that they did things like that. But the first thing you have to do is you have to look at the boat. 
And once you understand the boat, then that gives you some some information about what the boat is doing. And then you can make a you can start to make assumptions about you know spirituality could fit into that into the function of the boat. But you have to understand the boat first. You have to understand what the UFO is and what it does. Why is it? How does it fly? Why is it flying? Then you can start to understand. I'll give you a great example. Yeah. You know abductions? Yeah. Okay. When we think of abductions, everybody thinks to themselves, oh my goodness, people are being abducted. We cannot figure out why. Right? Nobody's got a good answer on why they're being abducted. Right? Well, there's a lot of answers out there, but whether they're good or not, I guess, is pretty... (laughs) Exactly. There are a lot of answers, but if they're good or not, we can have a debate, right? When I was a kid, when I was a a wee little conspiracy nut, okay, I used to watch a show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Did you ever watch that? Uh, Yeah, I remember that from from being a kid, yeah. Okay. With Marlon Perkins, okay? One of the things that I remember is Marlon Perkins up in a Hughes helicopter with a tranquilizer gun, yeah. flying across North Dakota, right, looking for looking for a buffalo. They found a buffalo. He shoots it with a tranquilizer gun. Shoots it again with a tranquilizer gun because that thing's so huge. If you've ever seen a buffalo, you'll understand why. They land. They treat it okay. I think they could have been nicer. Yeah. <laughs> but but what did they do? They put a tag on its ear. They injected it with a radio transponder, basically surgically put in a radio transponder under its skin and let it go. Right? Yeah. Think about that on a more math level. Yeah. Yeah. Around the government or... Yeah. Yeah, no, it so, happens at all over the over the planet with all kinds of animals and yeah. Whether you're aliens or the yeah, government, but, that's uh what's happening to us, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And think of us as animals. Yeah. Whether it's another cattle. human doing it to us, yeah, we're cattle. And and now think about what that what that implant is tracking. That implant is tracking where you go. It's tracking, you know, your your vital signs as you go there. You know, it's tracking what kind of food you're eating. It's tracking your body temperature. Think about telemetry. It's sending telemetry somewhere. Hmm. That's right? what says your phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't have Just to do like much. They don't have to do much to track track us anymore. Yeah, so, but, but think about your phone. Think about your phone, right? I'm on a cell phone right now. I'm in. I'm in a. I'm in the the Pacific Northwest. Okay, I'm talking to you. You guys are in Canada, right? Yeah. So our our conversation is going over partially over the internet, and my phone is talking to a cell tower. I hope is an actual cell tower. Versus a fake cell tower, which we've all heard about lately. Yeah. But as my but as my phone is communicating, it has a GPS, it has an accelerometer, it can tell it can tell the tower where I am, how fast I'm moving, it can tell them what the temperature is, right? It can tell them what time of day, tells them who I'm talking to. They can already listen in and say figure out what I'm saying. So again, it's another point of telemetry. It's all about telemetry and tracking. Whether you're tracking a person with a little, with a little injectable device, or you're you're tracking them with a phone, tracking them with a car, it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
So I think that I gotta I gotta take us on a tangent there. So you, you see that way that that old TV show used to hunt animals, Darren. That's the only way I would condone to hunt Sasquatch is with a tranquilizer with a tranquilizer gun and no bullets. In a helicopter. Yeah. No. It, no, yeah, I agree with you. Shoot, and it, shoot to kill. Yeah, I, saw, I saw Sasquatch. <laughs> Did <laughs> I you? Saw Bigfoot, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you have a gun? <laughs> no. Okay, here's a question. I was. I was if you had I was a gun, miles away. Say you yeah. had a gun, and you had a scope, okay. and you were looking through the scope, and there's Bigfoot. Sasquatch. And yeah. you can either tell people about him, and nobody believe you, <laughs> or you can and kill him and take him down. That's it. That, you wouldn't shoot. I would not shoot him. No, me neither. Yeah, I'd let him go too. Huh, I'm outnumbered on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I can understand. I can understand though. I can understand the impulse of wanting to shoot him. I, I don't because know. I got to shoot him finally, to protect him. No, I don't agree. You know, it's I. I understand the logic. It's just for me personally. I just my my nature is that you know, like I, I like to fish. You know, I like to fish, and, and I was I was in a I was up here, and I was going fishing in a lake, and I caught a bass, a big bass, and my, and it's like you know, you got to eat it. Oh you yeah, can. well I'll eat Sasquatch, and I could make like some oh, slippers damn, and damn. a rug. Come on, if you oh, eat them, is go. it okay though? Well, you know, I'll I tell think you, that's it's, it. It's the ultimate kitsch, ultimate kitsch restaurant, right? Roasted Sasquatch. Bingo. <laughs> You could sell some steaks. You could sell Sasquatch burgers for probably like fifty grand a pop. Oh, oh, I'm sure you could. And you could sell his head and mount it on the wall. Yeah, and then you keep his feet as slippers or something. You'd keep That's a right. part of him, and then you'd just you part the rest out to science and museums, and you'd use every <laughs> part of him and make him a protected species. Just like my people used every part of the buffalo until we ran them yeah, all off the cliff at once, and then. Had too many. Well, that's a, <laughs> yeah. The the seas could do that. They'd run them off the cliff. <laughs> they have a head smashed in buffalo jump or drop or whatever. Just a couple hundred k south of here. Yeah, it's a buffalo jump. <laughs> did you did you see uh, did you see Sasquatch really then? Did I see what Sasquatch really? I really saw Sasquatch. Yeah, well, Bigfoot Sasquatch. Yeah, I saw him in Washington State. You walk us through it. I uh, I went to a place called uh, East City. Yeah. It's a very odd place. Yeah, we've yeah, heard, we've heard was, about it. Yeah, and um, I was sitting at a table, and uh, I was screwing my phone. <laughs> I'm a human being, right? I was screwing my phone. The guy sitting next to me elbows me. He goes, "Hey, what's on my mountain?" I'm like, wait, leave me alone. I'm, I'm playing solitaire. <laughs> oh, you gotta look, you gotta look. I'm like, no, I'm playing Tetris. Leave me alone. So finally, gets me to look, and we were 14. It was Mount Adams. We were 14 miles away. Well, I made, or no, we were 10 miles away, and the mountain is 14,000 feet. And above the tree line, which would probably be about 12,000 above 14,000 feet, or maybe 11,000. But above the tree line, I saw two two things that were about maybe three quarters of an inch high. And they were walking, they were walking up a snow field that was at least a 45 degree grade. 
<sighs> and I'm seeing these things 10 miles away, and they're three quarters of an inch high. I mean, they're, they were like as big as trees. Like, I could see a tree that was the same size as these things. They were so goddamn big that I could see their gait. I could actually see them moving as they were walking. Yeah, yeah. And you could tell it wasn't a bear or it's not a fucking no. caribou or something like that. It was walking like upright. It's, yeah. It was yeah. walking upright because I watched one of them fall down. Really? And then, they, yeah, it fell forward. And then, and then you could, I could see them at the very top. They crested it just a little bit below the summit. And then they descended down into some rocks. Huh. Yeah, I watched that for a long time. That reminds me. I think I've heard your story before. I must have heard you on another podcast. That totally rings a bell, that story. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's not much of a story. But well, I well, no, but I'm pretty sure. It reminds me of uh, one also that I heard somebody had a sighting close to us, south of us in, um, Darren, what's that little town south of us near the border there? Near yeah. Elk River. No, it's a really cool little town, apparently. Uh, there was a, a couple Sasquatch sightings down there. Past, uh, oh, forget it. I'm, I'm new to Alberta. In Alberta, though? Yeah. Speaking oh. of forgetting things, that meeting I was talking about, Olav, is the Robertson panel. Yeah. And, I, and I was wrong on the year. Oh, the Robertson panel, yes. Yeah, yeah, it was 1953, actually. So it doesn't really correlate with the whole 57 thing, but. Yeah, but it but it does it does right because in six in sixty three, by then they've already tested alternative one and failed, and they're well into what I call alternative one point five. Oh, okay. And I'll, this is chemtrails. This is mass geoengineering. That it, after that meeting, one of the things you see in the months after alternative oh. one is you see a whole flurry of activity oh, from aerospace come like Hughes Aerospace and, and Lockheed and, you know, Martin uh, and Martin Marietta and others. <clears throat> At that time, they were separate. Um, and they're, they're finally, especially Hughes Aircraft, they're finally patent after patent for geoengineering. That's cloud what, seeding, re- reflective material. They yeah. seed clouds here. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you exact, that exact thing because I, I was thinking after Alternative 1, did that correlate with what's going on now? with the geoengineering, right? Or, or did they know, like may, maybe it's even intentionally good and they know they're trying to protect us from some sort of, some sort of event. Well, but I don't know. I don't really buy that. Well, no, what you've got is you've got a really bad situation, right? They, you know, from everything that I've seen, it seems to indicate that the problem, whatever it will be, is most likely environmental. So you've got, they're trying to do the right thing, right? Because it benefits them too. Because right. remember, the guys that are running these programs are not necessarily getting shipped off to Mars. Right. Some of them are as screwed as you are, right? But it benefits them to try to stabilize the, stabilize the ecology. So what they did is they invested in something called global dimming, right? That there, there's this notion that if you dump particulate matter, whether it's aluminum or whatever, at high altitudes, you're reflecting the sunlight, and then that lowers that lowers the reflectivity, or that increases the reflectivity of the Earth, changes the albedo, but lowers the amount of sunlight that's passing through that layer to the surface, and then that lowers the temperature of the Earth. The problem is, is that it causes a whole bunch of other things that are very bad, and it screws with the, it screws with the jet stream, and it, because the jet stream is driven by the heating of the earth and other things, 
And, it, you know, it just causes a whole bunch of problems. But it's kind of like analogous to you getting cancer, right? Let's say that you get some kind of cancer. I, I really I hope you don't, but let's say you do. And the doctor says, okay, we can conquer this. And you're like, bullshit. He's like, no, 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 we can conquer this. I'm going to put you in chemotherapy, right? So they're ra- irradiating you, trying to kill it. So the idea behind it, you know, chemotherapy and, and radiation is that they're trying to kill the cancer before they kill the host. Hmm. Yeah, good point. So you have a... Yeah, so you have a catch twenty two that that they're I, I don't think that, that the chemtrails are malicious, you know, but I think that it's it's just a situation where the price you pay for trying to trying to control it ultimately is more damaging than just letting it go. Yeah, see that's kind of my thought about it. That's that's where right. I am recently. So I, I wanted to ask you about chemtrails too because And then if that's the case, so yeah. is it such a you know, maybe it's good that it's under wraps because if that shit's public knowledge, it'd be pandemonium, right? Yeah. Or maybe not. I mean, right. maybe it should just be, but I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I think it, well, it should all well be. Into it. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it's such a polarized topic, though. I, I'm still not sure where I stand on the whole thing, but I know something's going on. And when it's, it, well, it totally bugs me that they're propagating this, you know, global warming thing when there's something's being sprayed. Right? And I'm not saying it's that extreme conspiracy of dumbing us down and all that, sure. but something's being sprayed. Like, sure. what do you, what do you say to people that, that, that don't agree? Like they just think it's uh, persistent contrails or whatever. Like, how do you argue with those people? Well, number one, I showed them the path that, that actually discussed dumping aluminum material up into the atmosphere. The second thing that I would point them to is that in the, in the days after 9-11, right, that there were a whole bunch of atmospheric scientists that ran outside and said, oh, my God, there's no airplanes in the air. And right. they said to themselves, holy crap, I'm going to take measurements, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because in, in all of recorded history, this is the first time, you know, modern history, this is the first time that there's no airplanes up there. Well, guess what? The temperature increased, and it increased significantly. And the amount of light that was coming through and getting to the surface of the Earth increased significantly as well. And so if you do if you do research on global dimming, it's, it's real, hmm. and it is caused by the contrails. There's no debate. It's hmm. caused by the contrails. Now, uh, traditional science will say that it's caused by the contrails, and the contrails are like crap coming out of the back of your car. Yeah. But you know, and and maybe, but at the same time, in the in the years after the in the years after that chemical meeting, you know, all these guys like Hughes Aerospace and Lockheed and and Grumman and Northrop they all ran out and filed patents on dumping this shit into the upper atmosphere. And I think at this point. You know that they're that the material is mixed into the fuel. Whatever it is, you know, somebody told me they can't be aluminum because it, it passed through the turbine engine. You know, and it would heat up the turbine engine and blow it up. Okay, fine, I'll concede that point to you. Maybe it's not aluminum, but it's something reflective. And I think it's in the fuel because it's it's global. <laughs> you see these things all over the earth. Right, and they're irregular. They, you can have two planes that are flying side by side. One is leaving at the same altitude. One is leaving a contrail. One isn't. What about the videos you see of it being on a different apparatus that is not coming from the engines? It's actually being sprayed from nozzles that, that you know, that it's not part of the so, fuel. Yeah, 
So th- this is a. I think this that'd be tough to not have that, pictures, tons of pictures. Well, there are pictures on the web. That's a thing. They're all so perfect, though. This is the thing, right? Is that in order to have a conspiracy, you need more than one person. Okay? So if you have something that is that vast, you have a conspiracy so vast that you have hundreds and hundreds of pilots, because they have to turn it on, and they would know that it's coming out because they pre-flight the plane, so they'd see the nozzles. You can't hide that shit. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're talking about pilots who are actually actively dumping this stuff. The, the the problem I have with that is that to have something so vast that you're getting these chemtrails all over the earth, right? That is an enormous organization, and you don't have one guy that is willing to come forward with a manifest that shows you the amount of that garbage that's on the plane and, and yeah. photos from his from his phone that show the nozzles and everything well, else. Well, there, there is a couple were, of those. That's the thing, right? I did see a video. It was a news video, actually, and it, and it panned over. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying it's real or not, but it looked sure. pretty real. And it panned over and showed, like, nozzles spraying shit out the back of the plane. So um, I I understand what you're saying. I kind of, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, but there's, there's other things. I think there's bigger well, things that have any... been kept secret, right? I mean, look at the no. the atomic testing and and but it wasn't. Know, Manhattan but project. It wasn't kept secret. No, but it wasn't. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg took the plans for the the Manhattan project and gave it to the Soviets. Yeah. It wasn't a secret. Yeah, yeah, right? the, yeah. Maybe. None of this stuff is ever secret. So you would, so you would, <laughs> so you think that it's it's something's in the fuel that's that's creating persistent contrails slash chemtrails uh, right. not like it was even probably before 9 11 maybe it's the airline right? maybe it's an airline it is i think after i think they stepped it up after 9 yeah, yeah 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 that makes sense i mean i i just think it's got to be something more than contrails i mean i i've seen them oh yeah myself in vancouver and even you know in calgary here as well and and to see a contrail watch a plane go over leaving a contrail or persistent contrail, whatever you want to call it. And it hangs around for hours. That's not just a natural cloud created from condensation out of the jet engine or whatever. Well, and, and other, you know, I, I see them over my house cause I, I'm on a flight line, but you know, other people notice them too. You guys ever heard of Prince, you know, Prince, Prince of the revolution. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Prince, Prince the artist formerly Purple known Rain. as fuck. Yeah. I love formerly Purple known Rain. as Prince. Charlie he Murphy did, played basketball inter- with. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he did an interview where he talked about remembering as a kid in the 70s, watching planes fly over, and there not being any contrails, and then year by year, more and more and more and more and more. That's Prince, and he's famous. Huh. You know, so it, it's there. <laughs> I remember in the 80s, not that many contrails, more and more and more. And now, you know, I was driving across the wastelands of North Dakota. I could see them driving across North Dakota. There's nobody there. Yeah, maybe it's not <laughs> the government. The is empty. Like, who do you no, guess, guess who pays for the hail seeding here in, in Calgary? The hail seeding? Yeah. Do you know this? Yeah. So this is interesting, Olav. We were talking to a guy at sure. work, and he... There's apparently there's hail seeding going on and it it's uh apparently it's, like it's pretty common seeding, around but airports. When but it, when hail hail happens here a lot and it can be big and damaging, right? So he's talking about cloud seeding and I'm like, so well, what about chemtrails? And he hadn't really even heard of chemtrails. It was quite funny actually, because Darren was like rolling his eyes at me. 
in the office, but um, it's interesting that people would believe that cloud seeding happens, but they haven't really approached the chemtrail topic. So who do you think pays for it? Right. So for, for our listeners who don't know what hail seeding is, it's when they drop like little chunks of, I think, aluminum or something into the clouds and it weighs down the droplets before they can get too big. So they drop when they're the size of a golf ball instead of the size of a baseball. And who pays for that? Yes. Uh, the car companies? The insurance companies. Bingo. No way. Yeah. $3 million a year just for Calgary. Wow. So a private wow. company can just go dump shit into clouds. That's to crazy. save themselves money See, what on kind claims. of fucking effect does that have? I don't know. And what does it look like when somebody's doing it? I don't know. Like, does it look I don't like know, but it seems or? scary to me that it's almost privatized. Privatized cloud seeding. So who the fuck knows what's going on? These private companies could be testing whatever they want. It could, you know, it could, a lot of it could even be unrelated. It's just... These guys are trying that because, you know, all these companies have so much money. I think, I think in the case of global dimming, it's so pervasive that I suspect it's probably something that's, I mean, especially when you're, you're talking about global dimming, right, and the whole secret space program and all that thing. You know, I think it, I, I think you're talking about an organization that, it, that is, is made up of a lot of the larger countries in the world. Right. Right. I think you're basically looking at something something like the security UN Security Council making these decisions. Right. That you need because you're talking about the whole world. Right. Yeah. You're not talking about you know, in the case of the hail seeding, you know, that happens in Calgary. I know it happens in Texas because they have the same kind of problem. It happens a few other places here. But you know, the the chemtrails are pervasive across the entire world. And yeah. and I think that the the secret space program is pervasive across the entire world. Right? That you know, mm. the sea vaults are ev everywhere. Right? You know, and and some of the other some of the other things for example, I, I wrote a book, right? And in the book one of the things that I pointed out was iconography on UFOs. In the in the seventies, there was a magazine called Sega, and Sega pr produced this article. I believe it was written by Otto Bender, who did the whole Men in Black thing. Bender, I'm pretty sure it was Otto Bender. It's in the book, <laughs> but but in the article, they talk about iconography found on UFOs that people have photographed. And so, if you look at that iconography, you can actually find things that are equivalent in real life. And one of the one of the fun, and it's all kinds of stuff, right? There was one that was like the like fascist Italians from World War II, very similar symbol. But in one case, what they were seeing were on the side of these UFOs was uh, was uh, uh, lettering, and one would say like U.S. and then have a four-digit number. You say like say like uh, um, I don't know uh, U.K. and then a four-digit number, or say like. USSR and then like a two-digit number or say like ITN and four-digit number or whatever. So, hmm. you know, the the idea that, that we're screwed is on an entirely global level. And so I think that, you know, the secret space program is on a completely global level. Chemtrails, all these global things, it's all on a, it's all on a global level. And then they manufacture things like wars and they manufacture conflict to confuse us and confound us so that we will not pay attention. So do you figure that those global phenomena are, are related or correlated or related? 
Yes, I think they're planned. Yeah. That's New World well, Order. And, shit. Well, I mean, yeah. sure. And, and I mean, look at, you know, whether you believe it's a New World Order or just a bunch of assholes at the UN trying to figure it out, that's up to you. Yeah. I would argue it's a New World Order, but, you know. Yeah. What I will say is that, look, <laughs> you know, it's in 2001. Right, and 9-11, it started with Bin Laden. Let's go get Al-Qaeda, they're so bad, they're so bad. Okay, we go get Al-Qaeda. We kill, kill Bin Laden, he's gone. Now what? Oh, now we have all this, you know, the Arab Springs and all these things, right? <clears throat> While we're trying to hunt down Bin Laden, toward the waning part of it, Arab Spring everywhere, Arab Spring everywhere, right? Then we kill Bin Laden, now it's ISIS. So, yeah. you know, we're just bouncing from one bad guy to another. Yeah, yeah. So... It's so it, it makes sense to me that it's all connected and, and that there's something sure. else going on. I mean, especially when you, when you do your research and you realize the secret space program possibilities and all that, that the technology has been around for decades and maybe we have gone oh, yeah. off planet. That's, that's totally interesting right. to me, but I wonder, I wonder about the, the chemtrail phenomena or the geoengineering and, and, and the whole global warming meme, like, are they, are they separate? Do you think, or is there a correlation there as well? Like, like we're, right. we know, we know that we're fucking around with the atmosphere, you know, we're, we're geoengineering. Right. So we can come up with the global warming thing to, to just be another no. control mechanism. Or do you think that there's two separate uh, issues going on? Well, I think what you have is, is the cause and the effect, right? What you have is, is that you've got global warming for whatever reason. I don't want to get into a debate with anybody on what causes it. Okay. That's no, nobody's going to win that argument. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree. <laughs> it's doing it's doing passion. Let's just say that it's that, that climate change is here. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> okay. the way. That's exactly the way I like to put it. Yes, of course, climate's changing. Yeah. It always has, and it's here now. Yeah. It's here right now. <clears throat> Geoengineering is the result of climate change. The geoengineering is the attempt to control climate change, to mitigate or to lessen the impact of climate change. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So the, the Earth is heating, right? Well, at least in some places, right? We can have an argument about it, but in at least in some places, the Earth is heating. That I can tell you that 100% certainty that in, in at least in some spots, the Earth is heating up. One of the byproducts of geoengineering is the dimming, the darkening of the Earth, which lowers the temperature. Hmm. Right. So you're using the geoengineering to attempt to control the atmosphere. You're using the you're using a harp to control the atmosphere. Whether it's the American harp or the Chinese one or the Russian one, you know. Do you remember the Olympics? <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, you can't do it in Beijing, right? There's all this smog. It's horrible. Everybody's going to choke. <laughs> and the premier of China goes, ah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> don't and, worry about it. It'll be fine. And I don't think they were, they, when, were, they, were, they were open with it, too, I think. Yeah. They're like, we're going to fuck with the atmosphere and make the Olympics <laughs> nice. <laughs> and guess what? They fucked with the atmosphere, and guess what? The Olympics were nice. Yeah. Crystal clear. No smog yeah. <laughs> every day. No smog. And, and, you know, they did other things like they just arbitrarily told a whole lot of people, you can't turn your car on or we'll put you in prison. <laughs> but, you know, they also screwed with the atmosphere. Hmm. Right. So, you know, I think when you talk about climate change, because it means different things in different places, because the climate is destabilizing. Right. 
So when you're talking about it, you know, in some places you're going to get chemtrails because they're trying to cool it. In other places you're going to get cloud seeding because they want it to rain because there's a drought. Or they're manipulating the jet stream using harp or whatever. But I think all of it is an attempt to control the atmosphere to keep what's bad from happening from happening. <laughs> and in the meantime, and ultimately, go, go ahead. Well, well, and, and ultimately, according to Alternative Three, that if you if you buy that as a framework, ultimately we're being pushed toward an ice age. I know it seems counterintuitive that the Earth is heating up, and then we're going to go into an ice age. But it actually, apparently, we're our interglacial period is fading, and although the Earth is heating up, that ultimately one of the reactions to that the Earth, that the ecology of the Earth has, is that when it, this happens, it it causes the temperature to ultimately plummet, and when we when that happens, a whole lot of us are going to die. The interesting thing is, though, that when you look at that notion that the Earth is going to ultimately have an ice age, suddenly there are some interesting things that make sense. Right? Remember, this is systemic. That this is not. Most of the time, you've got. I was chuckle. When when you get a bunch of conspiracy nuts in a room, of which I am one, right? Everybody's got their thing. <laughs> some guys like mind control. Some guys like UFOs. Some guys like airplanes. Some guys like bunkers, you know, it's kind of, some people want to talk new world order, some people don't believe. But <clears throat> whatever's happening is systemic. Now, there's a, have you guys ever heard of the ghost cities? Yeah. You know, in China, the ones that have like one or yeah. 2% occupancy? Well, actually, in some cases, they have 0% occupancy. And you look at there. the position. My motorbike. <laughs> well, you may, you may ultimately end up there, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> If you if you look at the ones in China, not the ones in Africa, but if you look at the ones in China, the positions of them, there are several of them along the Mongolian border. If you look at the ice projections for when we re-enter our ice age, those cities are at the ice line. Wow. Why not confirm Now, there are so? more. Now, there are more that, that are more toward the coast, and those those seem to, you know... Those seem to indicate some sort of uh, sea level rise, but those match sea level rise. It's kind of like they're they're taking, they're not taking any chances, right? But the ones along the Mongolian border, that if you look at the projections for for an ice age, the glacier, the ice lines for the glacier, the super glaciers, they come down through Mongolia and they end about where those cities are. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, some people would argue that Ice Age is more the natural state of the planet, and it's, you know, things like impacts and the stuff like that, Probably. melting water and stuff like that that causes sure. the atmosphere to temporarily stabilize or warm up or whatever. Yeah, the, the warming the warming is definitely the odd the odd part. <laughs> there, there are much larger periods of, of glaciation than, than warming, but... We're going back toward it ultimately. So my idea but, of you know, moving it, to the ghost city isn't that crazy. No, not at all. The, the positions of those ghost cities in China, and I suspect that if you look in other places, you'll find more. But we, we you'd have time, I suspect. Like it's no, not just they happen. No, they it happens pretty quick. Like I heard well, talking with George Norrie when I went to that event. They had uh, Robert Felix, I think is his name. He talks about the upcoming ice age and. 
Apparently Welcome in the past, back. too. It, it's happened pretty quick. How quick? Like yeah, day it, after it tomorrow? No, like, we, like weeks or months, uh, I think. Years. It's got to be years. Yeah. Years to decades. But, well, yeah, but they've, been, they've, they've spent years and years and years preparing for it. This is nothing new that they've known. Huh. Right? They, they, they planned for this. This is Alberta not would be fucked. anything that they, Alberta would be fucked. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it, no, it's hard to imagine. We were under what one or two miles of ice. I can't remember if it's one or two miles. Like, yeah, I was just oh, at the Okotoks Big Rock the other the other week. Yeah, only only like ten thousand, eleven thousand years ago. Like that's not really long ago that this was covered in miles of ice. Now there's ponds all over miles. full of fish. Yeah, yeah, it's just I crazy. Think it's two miles, but climate's not changing. <laughs> you're a climate <laughs> denier. <laughs> you deny climate. You're, you're... <laughs> You know, you know, up there in Alberta, man, you guys are screwed. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm an Indian, but I'm screwed all right. too. <laughs> We're all screwed. I mean, it's just different brands of screwed. But they've been preparing for this for for two generations. I mean, the guys that knew this, they they were old men before World War II started. Right. So you have the World War II generation. You've got the baby boomers. You've got Gen X, Gen Y. You've got the millennials have all existed in the time period that these guys have planned. Right. So, so what, what are you doing personally? Are you, are you doing any sort of prepping at all? Sure. Of course. You have like a, you have a cabin in the, in the hills waiting for you. I have places to go. People to see. Yeah. We'll need a lot more subscribers if we're going to go to a hideaway hut. Where would it be? So, yeah, well, we got In here, we'll just be in here covered yeah. in ice, podcasting till we suffocate. Yeah. Sounds glorious. Well, we're, we're pretty much in a bomb shelter right we now. We have so one just... can of spam. <laughs> and then I'm going to eat I'm use that can of spam to bash Graham's head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's tool usage. That's what makes us different. <laughs> Oh, but but man. seriously, you know, you know, yeah, sure. But the the guy, if you want to know about that kind of stuff, the guy you got to talk to is Guy McPherson. Yeah. Okay. I'll look at that. Look that up for sure. Yeah, because Guy McPherson says that within one generation we're really screwed. Yeah. Hmm. And then you know, but what I see, I don't know if it's that fast, but what I see is acceleration. More bunkers, you know, more programs, more destabilization, more weird things that every government does. You know, we always read in the alternative press, oh, the Department of Homeland Security bought 2 million bullets. Sure, and they buy bullets for <laughs> for how many different agencies, you know, or they bought 4 million body bags. Right. Okay, they're planning ahead. Yeah, that's the thing, you know? exactly. Yeah. Right. How much of this it is just, how much tomorrow. of it is just good planning or how much of it is, is like sort of secret planning? That's that's the hard well, thing. You're to getting out. both. Yeah. Right. You're you're getting both. And they're mixing it together so you can't see. Right. It's kinda like if you're if you're preparing for something, right? <laughs> you wanna buy some food and you don't want to make a big deal out of it, when you buy your, your energy bars, right, those emergency bars you buy those energy bars, you buy a couple books with it off Amazon. Comes in a box, nobody notices. You know? <laughs> They're doing the same thing. I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was like, maybe yeah, just uh, either buying or, or, or printing out, like, uh, 
a list of like the local wildlife, you know, like what's, sure. what's edible, what's not, what's out there growing, what roots. Cause it's just, just in case the power goes up. You can up. add Sasquatch to that list. <laughs> yeah. You're going to eat him. <laughs> yeah. You're done with Sasquatch, right? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll find something <laughs> easier to like shoot you. first. I don't know. Sasquatch is the one, one guy that would probably make it out of this pretty well. That's, I was shooting Sasquatch before the power went out. <laughs> Once the power's out, pretty well everything's game on. As long as it doesn't have go. a face. I'd rather just turn into a vegan at that point. And eat what? Grass? I'm pretty close to it already, so. That's fine. As long as but if it's, everything's covered in snow, you just have to head south. Yeah. Or, or head up into the mountains. Yeah. Well, in, if it's an ice age, though, here in Alberta, you're going to have to head way south. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, like Iowa, like Iowa South. Yeah. Nebraska. So what do you got going on lately? Uh, what do you got going on next? Are you working on any project? Yeah, I'm working on a second book. Um, I launched a magazine called Mysterious Magazine. Um, and then I'm, I'm now the publisher of Steam Shovel Press. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I have a lecture uh, about this same stuff um, in Olympia. Washington on the 11th. Oh, cool. At last chance book. What time? Uh, I believe the lecture starts at 7 p.m. Um, yeah. Right on. At last chance book. That's yeah, great. and it's it's the same thing. You know, secret space program, exodus of the rich people. We're all screwed. What do you need to make it better? I wonder if they need, <laughs> I wonder if they need podcasters. They need someone. <laughs> The, oh, they might. Oh, the rich. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do you get on that secret space? Program? Yeah, I'd rather, Don't... I'd rather be the help than not on the I ship think you, at all. You swear too much. So oh. there's too many f bombs. You have to be more polite. Well, well uh, I'll, like these, so... I'll be like the zoo. They like to see me, the, the little heathen boy, cursing and spitting and throwing poo at the wall. Well, I'll give you a hint. Um, it's in the book, but if you take. It's on my website, too, anomalies.net. There's a map that was produced by David Paulies. He does uh, um, missing, missing 411. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, People yeah. disappearing from the National Forest. He made a map. If you take that map and overlay it on top of a map made by a guy named Tall from 1991 that shows a bunch of underground bunkers and underground facilities and underground rail network, if you overlay them on top of each other, the concentrations of disappearances match. No way. Yeah. Okay, yeah, there you go, Darren. Just, just start wandering around in those so areas. If you, you want to be a slave, abducted and you be a sex slave, and, and a sex slave you. for the secret space program. We should send you in there with your That's GoPro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send him there with the GoPro. <laughs> You'll see him get sent to Mars <laughs> as a batch consignment. I would do it. I but think. anyway. Oh, I don't think you tried to, to go that. to Mars anyway already. <laughs> this is my ticket to Mars, man. <laughs> no, but but seriously, but seriously, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check that map though, because that is that's some fascinating correlation there. Yeah, yeah. I'd like. Yeah, to, I want to talk to the Underground Railroad dude. Yeah, who should we talk yeah, to scary. about the about the underground stuff? Besides, uh, that, um, Sauter. Uh, yeah, Sauter. Yeah, he's yeah. That's who I was Richard Sauter. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Sauter's really the guy. Yeah. All right. I mean, you know, he figured it out. Yeah. Well, the other guy you want is uh, 
What's his name? That he died. <laughs> Mysteriously? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Go to steamshovel.press and uh, look up Publish and Parish. It's an article I wrote about mysterious deaths and disappearances of UFO researchers, and it's in there. Oh, right. I meant to look at that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up for sure. Yeah, look up. It's called Publish or Parish. It's on steamshovel.press. Right on. That sounds great. Well, it was yeah. it was great chatting with you. We should probably wrap it up. We thank you yeah. for your your time and when you're in the you know middle of enjoying some nature there and stuff. But uh, thanks for chatting. No with problem. From the park. Yeah, it, was, it was wonderful. Yeah. Thanks yeah, was, for having me. Absolutely, and you have to come back when the the new book comes. Yeah, out. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's your, no yeah, what's your new back. book? Uh, what's your new book called again? A lot. I'm also writing a new one, but I wrote a book called The Secret Space Age. And what's uh, what's the it's second? Right. Do you have a name for the second one yet, or what it's about? No, I don't. Okay. Not yet. But you can find The Secret Space Age. It's it's published by Adventures Unlimited. Uh, you can find it on adventuresunlimited.com, or you can find it on Amazon. Okay, cool. And uh, let us know <laughs> let us know how it goes uh, at Area Fifty One, oh, sure. or or I should say, yeah. far away from Area Fifty One. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll maybe maybe offline I can have more of a conversation with you guys. About and then that. we'll see okay. who's we'll see who's uh, who's who's if you have GoPro footage and we have GoPro footage, then we can see whose turns out better of, of Graham getting you, you, you guys four one one going to Mars. Or... <laughs> well, you just, know, if you want to talk about Mars, you got to like, talk to Captain K. It's more likely he'll just get fucking mauled by a bear or something, or like fall down some little ravine and. Right on. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Olaf. All right, man. And that was our chat with Olav Phillips. Interesting stuff, eh, Darren? Yeah, that was a fun one. I love it when you can talk about all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, it's fun when you can go all over the map. You're not kind of cornered in one yeah. conversation. And big thanks to Olav for uh, doing it in the park. Yeah, how about that? Instead uh, of rescheduling. How about those websites? Or how about uh, those maps he was talking about from David Pleiades, you know, the missing 411 maps and overlaying it onto the underground bases from Richard Sauter. Like, see, there's some linking that needs to be done, right? With all these different... You should go check it out. Kind of anomalies and stuff like that. See, we'll put something on you. Go check it out physically? Yeah, we'll put a, rec- we'll put a device on you. Go check out what, the underground bases? Or? Yeah.
I'll just go camping around there. That's what I was kind of thinking. Around. I'd like to do that. I thought See about that. See if you can get missing. Yeah, I thought about that. I thought it would be an interesting adventure. Except just to see, secret. at least you know what the hell was going on, right? If you're abducted by Sasquatch or some elite band of commandos. Or just get eaten by a fucking leopard. <laughs> become a slave for the secret space program. So they just whip you down there? They just do it. They'd probably just try shit on you. I guess it depends on what kind of slave you're going to be, right? They'd probably just try shit on you. Like, oh, let's see what happens if he gets space radiation for fucking three months. It wouldn't be so bad if you were a slave to the secret space cougars. Or the majors. <laughs> the majors? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good one. Big thanks to Ola for coming on the show. Um, fascinating stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> who's next? Who comes uh, out next week? Who's being released? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tell me to find out for you. I want to say it's Brenda Michaels, probably. Who did we interview last week? Nobody. Well, that was the last person we interviewed until tonight. Wow, is that it? Yeah. Wow. Caught up on the back catalog. Wow. <laughs> it's a good thing we didn't have any cancellations this week. No, we would have been squirming. <laughs> uh, it's all good. We got two this week, so we'll be caught right up. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, anything else in the outro? No, else? no, I think that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Support yeah. the show, grabamerica.ca slash support. Yeah, a uh, list of all the ways to help us out is in the show notes. Yeah, check out the show notes. Click on whatever uh, you want to do this week. And uh, as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next week. It's about victory. The vibe is giving me people waking up to the powers of the big. No longer sheep. They can't hurt and keep. There's a revolution in the words I speak. I make me a promise to the truth I keep. Keep shining that light while my mind is right. Try teaching cause I know my words are mine They resonate loud to the child's delight People waking up as the masses unite We're taking deep forward, the truth shines bright Like a lighthouse in a storm, music guides you right Through the stormiest seas, the darkest nights It's uplifting to me, all the people I see Waking up from the nightmares, believing their dreams Every walk of life, but it's music for me They showed me the door Gave me the key, took me to another level, the place I'm meant to be. Astral light, visions heaven sent to me. Prophetic bars, hermetically tight. You can research yourselves and see that I'm right.